0: Everybody, I'm Robert Cannon. This is Figure of Speech, a podcast dedicated to the impact of forensics. Episode 16. Paul Davis. Paul, welcome in, buddy. Hi, Robert. Thank nice you. to have you here. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Paul. You and I overlapped for a little while in terms of competitive yeah, a couple, uh, time, couple years, and then you years. came back as a judge. And mm-hmm. uh, so I guess it was—I think maybe one year. I think your last year, your senior year, was my first year coming in in college. Uh, which I guess would have been two thousand six. Does that sound about right? Uh,
1: yeah, my, li- yeah, I think that sounds about right. I think we competed for a couple years, did we not? I thought it was just one. It might, have, I, yeah, that, that's because
0: probably. I I seem to remember you were you you already had a reputation. You were you were up there, and I remember coming in, going, "This guy, wow, I want to see more of his stuff." And I felt like I only have one year to really. <laughs> absorb Paul Davis's work because I, I really oh, admired shakes. you as a competitor. oh, thank you so walk me through it uh, let's get started. How okay. did you begin in speech? Did you do it in high school? Is that how I you did got
1: yeah, I did um, and I always felt a little slighted uh for a, by a year because I went to a high school that was only a three year high school oh. so when I found out about the activity, it was not something that I was like oh i'm gonna I'm gonna do this when I was in high school. You know, I started off my first year and um uh, kind of early in my sophomore year uh I had a friend who was like, um he was gonna give me a ride home mm-hmm. one day from work, from school one day, and I was like, "Hey, brad, can I get a ride home?" and he's like, he's like, "Oh yeah sure, I'm gonna go to this speech meeting first and I was like, "Oh jeez, that sounds awful, <laughs> but I didn't want to walk home it it was there I lived in Arizona, and it was always like, what su- was your impression of what that was uh i I didn't really have really any inkling right off the bat, mm. you know, cause when you hear speech and debate, I think it was this, that debate portion of it is what you hear. Right. You know, I feel like that's what everyone hears when they find out you do speech and debate. They're like, Oh, I'm not going to get into an argument with you. And it's like, well, I mean, you can, I'm not particularly great at that. Like I don't debate, you know, I,
0: I, how many times people have asked me, you know, if you say, Oh yeah, I met this person doing speech. and debate." Oh, do you like to argue?
1: Yeah. <laughs> no.
0: Who likes to argue? Are you insane?
1: <laughs> Well, I just feel like everyone likes to argue sometimes. Well, um but yeah. So I always just call it kind of. I always say speech. Yeah. That's what I. That's what I always say. Um, and I never, never throw the debate in just because it immediately just misleads. But that was the first thing I heard. I'm going to the speech and debate meeting, and I was like, "All right, I'll, 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 I'll tag along." So I what went. year was this? Do you remember? Uh, so this is my sophomore year in high school. Jeez, um, I graduated 2002. So, this would have been um two thousand mm-hmm. this would have been the the millennium happened the millennium you mean the millennium happened um like y two k happened my my sophomore year of high school okay um and that's kind of weirdly how I gauged it because I remember you know being nervous before it before it happened, and I kind of remember where I was in that place and I was in school and I was like kind of new to, to speech when that was going on. So that was, so it was, I guess I started 99. Okay. But like right at the beginning of 99, like I don't even know if I'd gotten into a tournament before, mm-hmm. before 2000. But, um, I just went to, I went to the speech meeting. Uh, I went into this really big classroom, almost like auditorium type seating, like the, the seats, they go up. So the teacher would be kind of like down the middle and I go in and, um, the speech coach, I had not been, I had not met her yet. Her name was Meg and um, right when I walked in, you know, I was a little like immediately taken aback. She's, do you, you know, Meg. Mm-hmm. Do you know Meg? No. Oh. But now I do. Hey, so- I'm Meg. <laughs> so Meg, um, she's, she's teeny. She's got like this, she's this teeny little body. Um, she has like long legs and then her, her torso is, is, is small. And so I walked in. And- is this like uh, Edna, what's her name from the Incredibles? <laughs> no, no. It's like she's actually got. I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like I should know. I knew. I've, I've known her for so long. I don't know what it's called, but she's got something where it's like, her, like body's like squished down. Okay. Um, when she draws, it's really cute. When she draws a stick figure of herself, she draws the legs, the arms, and she draws her body like a little lightning bolt. Um, so I walked in, and this is kind of how stupid I was in high school. It's like I saw her, and then like I look around. There's maybe like a hundred kids in there, okay. and um, and and I was like. I mean, kids are so shitty, you know. I was immediately like nervous. I was like, "Oh my, God. these kids are gonna start laughing at her," and I was stressed about it mm-hmm. for like the beginning of the speech meeting. And like, no, everyone's just kind of like listening to what she was t- saying, and talking about like what speech is. And I was like, "Oh, interesting, how mature everyone is in high school, mm-hmm. right?" When in reality, I'm still reflecting on myself because like I'm just expecting everyone to like laugh and like be shitty. <laughs> and then I'm just kind of sitting there. I'm, I'm sitting next to Brad. And so this is like my very first memory of of speech, I guess. This is my first like kind of thought is I I look over at Brad. He had been chewing on a pen and uh, a few minutes into the meeting, I look over and the pen had broken in his mouth and (laughs) his fucking face was covered in ink ink pouring out of his mouth. (laughs) It was all over his shirt. It was like, I looked over right as he realized it happened. It was on his fingers (laughs) and, um, and so, I immediately, like, right, so I start I start laughing, and, uh, and the more I try to kind of resist laughing, the, like, harder I start laughing, and then I'm having, like, a full-blown, like, panic attack, because I'm trying to stop laughing, because I'm convinced Meg, who's, like, kind of glancing up at me, because I'm kind of, like, making some noise, I'm thinking, fuck, she thinks I'm laughing at her. She thinks I'm laughing at her because she looks different. I love how paranoid you are. That- I was really paranoid. I, you know, oh. it's just like you go you, you go into a new school, you go into class or whatever, you don't know anybody. It's like I'm going to stand out for some reason. Mm-hmm. In reality, nobody sees you probably, you know. But, you know, I was just like an insecure kid like anyone else. So I was like, oh, my God, she thinks I'm I'm laughing at her. Or she thinks I'm not going to be taking this activity seriously. So my very first speech moments were were filled with – me laughing fear and and dread and paranoia (laughs) and also some comedy because like that pen breaking in his mouth it was really (laughs) funny so she ropes you in apparently you get
0: hooked yeah i got hooked um and did you did she
1: assign you an event right away
0: i feel like you're an
1: hi guy i did hi yeah um so my my whole first year i was really i was really bad at speech um, I immediately kind of liked the camaraderie of it, mm-hmm. and it was a pretty big team, um, and there was like a lot of juniors and seniors that were like they just seemed so cool and so smart. That was really the first time I was thrown into a group of people that I felt were like better than me in every way, mm-hmm. you know and um, and I loved doing it. I loved going to tournaments to kind of hang out with everybody, but I sort of hated going to tournaments and performing. When I would go into my rounds, I was so nervous. I was petrified. I felt like I had no clue what I was doing, and really I didn't. So my first year was just a constant balance of dread of standing in front of audiences and performing and and doing horribly, getting really bad ranks, really bad ballots the whole year. Do you remember any of the pieces that you did? Oh, man. Um, Yeah, I did an HI called Murder at the Howard Johnson's. I don't remember the author. Sounds
0: hilarious.
1: Yeah, and like I didn't even know what the fuck a Howard Johnson's was. That was okay. not a hotel chain that was in Arizona, <laughs> and I I thought <laughs> I thought that Howard Johnson was the name of like the house, the the yep. guy's house, house. that yes. it was set in, but it wasn't explained in the script. But anyway, um, it was also like you know, it's like a ten minute time limit, and I, I you know, it was a normal sized cutting you know it was a normal length cutting but i would get so nervous that every round i would just blow through it so fast that it would be like six or seven minutes because <laughs> <laughs> i was so nervous um and my parents came to i, I did a duo with brad <laughs> the, the guy whose pen broke in his mouth i did a duo with him you know just fucking uh, cursing okay uh, okay mean. okay just um such a heavy heavy <laughs> <laughs> it was about, like, a guy who was going to, like, blow up the Vietnam Memorial, right? And he runs into another guy, and, and they have this really, like, super heavy conversation, and it was just fucking atrocious, right? And we both kind of knew it was atrocious. Um, It was like a script someone had given us, like an older uh, competitor or an alumni or someone had given us or something, and we were doing it, and it was, it was just so bad. And, like, I mean, you know, watching high school kids, like, try to take on really heavy topics that they can't can't really wrap their head around yeah. in any capacity. it's just it must look silly like the equivalent of watching a kid put on his dad's coat or something you right. know like it's just gotta be like such a weird experience. Well for it's so it.
0: funny I mean I, I I coach middle school and I struggle with that same thing and even elementary school and I find that really you're kind of limited because the topics that they can connect with are usually bullying you know like that's, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. one thing that they're really sure, able yeah. to wrap their head around yeah yeah and you find some bullying poetry but man that stuff gets real repetitive real fast and oh, yeah like, i'm sure okay can we move on to something else but sure. yet, if you want them to really connect with it it doesn't
1: you have to really explain like the socioeconomic background yeah. of it's the tough. issue first it's it tough. is tough yeah. um and when i look back on uh you know stuff that i've performed even stuff that i really thought i got even when i was in college maybe you know um when i look back from a mindset now of kind of analyzing like a performance I had given, it was just like, Oh man, like knowing all I know now, that would be obviously It would just be so different. Yeah. Um, I,
0: I want to come back to that very thought because I want to talk about a piece. There's a couple pieces that I really want to div- dig down with you. Okay. Um, in particular, the prose that you did Oh, uh-huh, Okay. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about that
1: in a minute. So okay. We'll come okay. Back yeah. That. We'll circle back to that. Um, but walk me through high
0: school. So what else happens so, in high school?
1: So I guess the pivotal moments, I join, I'm insecure, but I find this sense of community. Mm-hmm. I'm not good. Um, and I go through my first year. And um, what, was, uh, what was really tough for me my first year is um, I really was kind of tired of just being like an anonymous person in the world. So I could, I, you get to high school and it's like the potential you know, I'm in high school now, I'm growing up and, you know, anything can happen. So I remember going into high school so hopeful and thinking to myself, like, I'm going to stand out now. I'm going to make a name for myself. And I kind of fell into speech. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, this is where it's going to happen. And um, early on, I'm at like a, like a team meeting, kind of meeting everyone. I don't really know everybody. And I, I like crack a joke in front of, Everyone out loud at the meeting. Right. And I was really nervous. And as it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, what are you doing? But like, I made a joke out loud. Right. And then it like got like a huge laugh. I was like, shit, fuck yeah. Crack. Belong. (laughs) I made it. Like, I'm making it. So everyone's laughing. And then, and I'm feeling great. And someone's like, oh my God, that is so Nick Frank. I was like, what? And then there was a guy who just graduated that was that was named Nick Frank. And for the next couple months, while I'm ch- trying so hard to carve out my identity... You're living in this guy's shadow? Every fucking thing I say, someone... That is so Nick Frank. He was just so beloved. Everyone on the team loved this fucking uh. guy. That is so Nick Frank. You're so like Nick Frank. Your shoes... I always wore checkered vans. It was like the only thing I wore. Your shoes are so Nick Frank. Any joke I would make, if it would get a laugh... I'd feel good about that, and then it was followed by, that is so Nick Frank. And it was- I do
0: want to point out, Nick Frank is here. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Nick Frank.
1: Well, hang on. So so that's so that's going on, and, and I'm really resentful of it, and it's really frustrating. So that's going on for about the first few months of me doing speech. And then Brad keeps surfacing in this, in, in my kind of opening speech memories. Um, so we, we have drama class first thing uh, in the morning. So going to my drama class with Brad and Ryan. They're my two best friends, and we, we're all doing speech together. We're all terrible at it. And um, I, I come in one day, and then uh, and then Brad is like, um, he's like, hey, Paul, do you think anyone's going to call you Nick Frank today? And I was like, yeah, probably. Like, why wouldn't they? And he's like, oh, you didn't hear. And I was like, no, what? And he's like, Nick Frank killed himself. Whoa. Yeah, he went up he was in Florida. He was going to college up in Florida. And um I guess he was like struggling with depression and And you never met the guy, right? Never met him, right? But like all I heard for my first like f- 4 or 5 6 months in in high school was like just constantly being compared to this guy. Well, it makes my joke a few minutes ago really <laughs> spot on, huh? Um he's always with us. Oh. So he's always here. So yeah, maybe. Um and and it was it was crazy because from that point on the the people on the team that were close with him were really handling me with baby gloves wow. our relationship just just drastically changed and it was a little confusing for me as well because it was like um I mean
0: These are upperclassmen obviously. Yeah. Right? These are like juniors and seniors. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And alumni as well. Okay. And, and and like some of the alumni that were coaching us were like like best friends with him. They were the same like got same it. age ranges as him. And um and yeah, and then it was like you could kind of see the fear in people's eyes when they were talking to me, like, oh, he's just like Nick Frank. Is this guy gonna kill himself? Right. Like do do we need to be worried about Paul? And then that actually got really annoying. Um, because, I mean, they didn't need to worry about me, and I'm not Nick Frank. I'm not like this guy. I mean, like, maybe I'm like this guy, but, like, I was a uh, you're really not struggling to be my own person, you mm-hmm. know? And, I, and, you know, at the time, I wasn't struggling with depression. I wasn't going through anything. And the really fucked up thing was that, like, you know, what Nick didn't see was the side that I saw of all these people. Like, maybe they weren't constantly telling him, we love you, you're so funny, you're so great. But it was, like, that whole team, like, Fucking loved that guy. Yeah. And it was like, man, if you were feeling what I was feeling every day, maybe you wouldn't have, you know, committed suicide, you know?
0: Yeah. But I think so often, too, people who make those kinds of jokes, they're really masking an inner wound and an inner depression. For sure. Policy, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, of course. That's the whole thing. And, and that's why you're cracking so many jokes is to not draw attention to
1: that yeah, real deep pain. Of course. Yeah. But it was, it was just a, it was a crazy year. Um,
0: well, that was your sophomore year.
1: That was my sophomore year. So, how
0: does that sure. segue into your junior year? You said you were bad your sophomore year, very did you, bad. Did you get better your junior year?
1: Yes. So, um, what happened? I got better. Um, I was more confident with cutting my own pieces and kind of making choices. And I started doing. And I started doing well. I started. I had. I had made like a final my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Um. Or I think I made two finals. One of them was in HI, but like, can you imagine? It's like I went the entire year and it was like made like a final. Mm. <laughs> so it's like I, I, really was not. I really was not good. Oh, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna backtrack to another really kind of pivotal moment of of that sophomore year. Aside from kind of all of that heavy stuff that I told you, my parents showed up to a tournament and they were like, "We want to see what you're doing." And they came to a prelim round, because it was only ever in prelims, of that duo I was telling you about, the Vietnam duo. And I told my parents, like, no, I don't want you in there. It's bad, and you're going to distract me, and I'm going to be embarrassed. And they were like, no, you're bluffing. You're an amazing kid. We know it's going to be great. You're just saying that. And they came and watched, and it was just like, man, I mean, they're the most supportive parents. But, like, even I could tell that they were just like, Yo, this is fucking, this is rough. And after that, like I walked out of that, that round and I was, I was steamed and they were like, great job. And I was like, shut up. You guys are never coming to a prelim again. You can come to out rounds if I ever get good at this. But like I cannot have you sitting there with one other judge looking me in the eyes as I shamefully perform this piece that I have no connection to. It's so
0: funny you mentioned this. I was just talking about this with students today of like how some people love performing in front of their parents and other
1: people can't stand it. I hated it. It would make me really I nervous. Loved you I loved, loved it. I loved
0: performing for my parents.
1: You know, I wasn't like a natural performer. Uh. when I was doing speech, I f- I f- I was such a fraud. I didn't feel like a performer. Um the the one the the final I made my sophomore year, it was a round of 7. So I barely even made that <laughs> round. So my first my first like 3 ballots were like um it was like they had to draw a seven and circle it it didn't the the ballot didn't even go up that high and i remember i i got like um seven seven and then like like a two or a three wow and that two or three encouraging yeah that that kept me going you know and i like read that guy's comments and it was just like hey this is pretty funny this joke is solid like Nice work. I can tell you're a little nervous. It's only seven minutes, you know. But it was like that was probably the first ballot I got that was you know I don't remember the guy's name, but it was it was just like okay, I got two sevens that were drawn on, which felt just especially right. pathetic. Um, but then but then like a, a higher rank from someone. It might not have, it might have even been like a four or a five. I don't mm. remember what it was. Um, but uh, but I was like, yeah, that guy that guy liked it, and it, that was. That was the first ballot I got that like made me feel good, you know? It's kinda so like you, oh, shit. you wrap up fairly mediocre sophomore year, but
0: you're in love. Bad. You're in love with the whole activity.
1: I or don't even I don't even know if I'm I'm in love with the community. I don't even know if I'm in love with the activity. It was it was just the first place I belonged, you okay. know? You so you know? come back your junior year.
0: I come back my junior year. And years, things start clicking.
1: The things start clicking. The Nick Frank stuff is normal. Um it's okay. it's normalized. People uh are now kind of accepting you? Accepting me and also I feel like um, that for some people, my presence made them feel good Mm. because I reminded them of their friend. Got it. So it kind of became this thing that was working, you know? It wasn't weird, Um, and I start doing well at tournaments, um, and I start getting to finals like regularly, Mm -hmm. and... um, Start winning tournaments. Um, at this point, are your events mainly still doing HI? HI is the main one. I'm doing some duo stuff. Uh, I don't remember if I did is like it an comedic
0: Xbox. duo or are you doing anything serious?
1: Yeah, yeah I, was, I, was, I was leaning pretty hard into comedy at the time. I was just like, you know, the sophomore year drama, uh, dramatic duo I did. It, it. Um. It was so embarrassing. It felt so unnatural. Mm. And, you know, it's like you do that in front of an audience and they're silent and you can't read it. Yeah. And I was I didn't know how to read a crowd at that time. Yeah. But like when I would go up with my HI and I would you get laugh, instantly. I know that I've earned that laugh. I gotten a, I've gotten right? a laugh or not, right? You know what's working, you yeah. know what's not working. I've always
0: said that that at least with comedy you know if you're bombing or not. You just don't yeah. know it with drama. I I want to stop for just one moment. Uh-huh. I want to I guess flash forward a little bit because I wonder if you suffered from a similar thing that, that I was suffering from of transitioning from high school into college. In high school, I only wanted to do comedic stuff you know i would do i would do hi i would do storytelling i would do things that were funny but whenever it came to okay it's time to do a, a di i would get super scared but college kind of forces you to have to do that it forces yeah. you uh i shouldn't say force but it, it it's real tough to do a strictly just humorous yeah. no real dramatic moment at all piece and and be super
1: successful and be with super that. successful with it yeah that's true um I didn't, Did you transition well into that? I transitioned incredibly well into it. Mm. Um, by the time I got into college, it was not a difficult transition to get into the, kind of the more dramatic stuff. And it turned out I had just a whole wealth of emotions locked up inside of me. <laughs> and the only time they came out was when I was performing. Wow. Um, so if I had a dramatic moment that I wasn't feeling, it was you know it if probably felt artificial and and wasn't like very natural or believable but um anytime i was in a in a round in a, in a in a big room and i had a dramatic thing and if there was like emotion happening that you were feeling that wasn't really me acting that was like one on one it's sometimes hard for me to kind of be vulnerable and emotional mm-hmm. In front of 200 people it's so easy you know it's like you start getting into That's that fascinating start getting into that dramatic moment and it's like you're fucking naked up there and it's like and, and then it and it comes out you know so all any if anyone saw me convincingly portray drama it was like because I felt that. The only times it was an issue is if it was a piece I put up at the beginning of the year and ran it the whole year. By the end, if I stopped feeling it, the performances stopped feeling good. Yeah. I couldn't fake it. I was <laughs> like, in like, I mean, you know, when people are faking, you're yeah,
0: piece fatigue. You're sick of doing it. Peace fatigue.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and like, I mean, anytime you watch someone like force a dramatic moment, you you can tell, right? Yeah. And it's like I knew that they could tell. So I kind of like learned the delicate balance of. Um, writing those dramatic pieces and if I had something with with good moments that I felt that affected me I would basically uh, take them out um try to get them qualled to nationals as fast as I could put them on the shelf so that they could remain fresh and then come back to them right before nationals yeah Yeah. that's how I would have to do it well let's go back to high school so
0: wrap up your junior year junior junior year
1: junior year is noteworthy because I start um, gaining confidence, I start getting successful in the activity, I I, I win the state championship in HI, and oh. everyone's, like, uh, kind of g- giving me pretty regularly p- pretty positive ballots, and I'm getting a lot of, like, good feedback. However, my junior year, I still I sort of felt like a fraud. Mm. Um, I felt like I didn't fully understand what I was doing. Uh, and it was like, I, I would have instincts that I just didn't really know how to hone in very well. So it's mm-hmm. like, I think this would be funny. And then I would kind of do it in front of an audience. And it was like, okay, it got laughs. It was, I guess that was funny. But I still did not, I was not fully convinced what I was doing was right. You know, that that I knew how to craft a piece 100% on my own. And when I did, I didn't know if it was, it felt fake. I felt like a kid trying to fool adults. Yeah. Um, But... The year went really well, and I never really showed that kind of reservation or that sense of doubt to anybody. Did you go to nationals that year? no um, we had we you know we had, we had in Arizona we had like our national qualifiers, and then uh, they take like the depending on how many people are entered in the tournament that we didn't have different regions in Arizona mm-hmm. it was the whole state was competing for two or three slots in that year, and that quals this is not a particularly interesting story, but I got third, uh, I got fourth. Mm. Um, And two of my like future best friends who uh, I was on a team with at ASU, AJ and Joe, got first and second. And the guy who got third, like shit the bed in the final round and fucking blanked. Mm. Blanked so bad that he had a character who had like cerebral palsy, right? Mm -hmm. And it was like a hilarious joke. But he was like, he was like frozen and like just shaking and just in that position so bad that he just starts repeating lines and if i'm not mistaken even like stops drops his hands says i'm I'm sorry this isn't part of the piece can i start over Mm. and kind of goes back into it and it was just like yikes and then that guy got third. And, and so that's I didn't go. really rough. It was pretty rough. It was pretty painful. That, that's rough not just to watch, <laughs> but
0: also to be beaten by.
1: It was rough to be beaten by, and I was looking at his face when they announced me as third, as fourth place because at that point he knew he was going to Nationals. And um, and I was looking at his face, and you could tell he knew he didn't deserve it. Mm. But he was still fucking thrilled. <laughs> yeah, man. Wouldn't you be? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, all right. You so do... I did not go to Nationals my, my junior but year. But you did win state. All right, and then what happens your senior year um <clears throat> kind of a similar story to that first ballot I got that like one that like one uh ballot that was relatively positive my sophomore year at the end of my junior year I was I was recently kind of trying to pinpoint what was the what what I think the big change was I was passing around my yearbook um for all my friends on the speech team to sign or whatever at the end of the year and there was a guy who um his name was Anthony Hagman. And he was a guy who I like. I liked. know Anthony Hagman. You know Hagman? No, I don't. Oh, pfft. be cool though. Uh, you know, he was on my team, and and we didn't have a particularly close connection. He was he did like debate and some of the LPs and like speeches, and he was like a super smart dude. He kind of dabbled in the interprets, and I kind of dabbled in the stuff he did, but like it was like different worlds, you know. And um, and he was he was like nice and you know pretty funny. And then uh, I you know on like the last day of school, I go home with my yearbook and I'm reading all my signatures and everything. And, but as I mentioned, I felt sort of like an imposter. I felt like I did not really understand the activity. I felt like I mm-hmm. didn't fully know what I was doing. And he wrote in my yearbook. Um, he's like, Paul, you have no idea how talented you are. And like, I read that and I was like, well, how does, how does he know based off of what I've shown him? Mm-hmm. You know? And it, like, it stuck with me. And I kept going back and reading just his signature. And I started thinking, what does Hagman know? I haven't seen him since, by the way. But I was like, what does Hagman know? What does he see in me? And it was really bizarre. It, like, it sort of unlocked my (laughs) brain. The sentence that he wrote and just, like, offhanded, (laughs) like, have a great summer. And, you know. It wasn't even have a great summer. He just said you have no idea how talented you are. And that was it. And then it, it just got me thinking, like, do I have no idea how talented I am? Am I more talented than I'm giving myself credit for? Am yeah. Do I understand this more than I do? And weirdly, his little thing that he wrote in my yearbook shifted my, th- th- from the beginning of the summer to the end of the summer, it wound up shifting my whole perspective That's on great. myself, on on speech. And I went into my senior year like, not faking it. Like for some reason in those few months that I was often kind of prepping pieces, I got it. Mm. And from that point on, I never didn't get it. Like I got like speeches. It it was the, the thing I'd gotten most in the world from that point on. Yeah. And it was almost like, um, it was like, so winning tournaments and getting ballots that say, you know, you're good one twenty five or whatever. That's, that was all kind of, a facade it wasn't it, it was almost like his yearbook signature kind of gave me the permission to to try my hardest to to fucking rock to like so
0: how did your senior year turn out
1: senior year turned out great one one state um went to nationals didn't break at nationals um but the first... It's, that's a rough tournament. Though, it's a rough yeah. tournament, and it was a weird tournament. It was the first time that I got a real taste of, like, politics in, mm. in the activity. So I guess before nationals, I went to the Harvard tournament, um, which was the first national tournament I'd ever been to, even though I was, like was, like, a senior. Our team did not travel a lot. We mm. kind of stayed in Arizona. And so Harvard was, like, the big tournament, right? Um, and we went to Harvard, and um, at that time nobody from my school, Mountain View, which was an incredibly successful speech program, no one from my school had ever finaled at that tournament. Mm. And no one from the state of Arizona had ever won Harvard. Wow. Um, And I won HI at Harvard. Awesome. And it was fucking cool. And it was like the first time that like, strangers were kind of congratulating me and, and coming up and telling me how much they love my piece and, 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 all that stuff. And it, it, it like, it was, yeah, it was awesome. You start so, to feel like a celebrity. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Like, like it's just in the, in a microcosm of the world. Like, yeah, I was like feeling like a celebrity. Of course that was my whole world. You know, it was like, it was like everyone in the world knew who I was. It feels good. I think, I think Th- when of you, of course, get, yeah.
0: When you get to that elite level, I mean you're you've put in how many hours countless hours of practice and work and yeah. and and you it starts to pay off and yeah. you deserve the the you know the the huge respect and and the admiration that people are throwing your way.
1: Yeah. And it was and it was crazy. I mean I'd never been to a a a tournament that big with that Mm -hmm. many competitors and like a tournament that like broke beyond semifinals, you know, it was like, it was like, wait, how many out rounds are there? How many times do I have to do this? And to kind of keep going on and keep having people coming up to you and saying that they're, you know, you're doing great. And then to keep going up against people that had been in the HI final the year before, and then they drop out in the, quarter and then the person who won hi the year before drops out in the semi and you're still there it's like whoa Whoa. can i can i win this you know and then to like walk into i mean up up at that point i mean even even today is still one of the biggest audiences i've ever performed for walking up in front of it when they called my name was just like holy shit this is i've never stood in front of this many people before right this is about to be the worst experience of my life or this is about to be the best experience of my life or maybe both (laughs) and it just uh i mean i mean I like blacked out just like you know you you get to the point when you get an audience in front of an audience that big and it's just like you just do it you know and it and it was fucking phenomenal you know it was it was like some of the best reception i'd I'd ever gotten I don't know how long the piece went, but it was it, yeah, it was like the most supported and loved i'd ever felt at that point in my life by my teammates who were there and super proud of me by my my coach meg, you know lightning bolt meg and um and just by hundreds of strangers, you know that was there was a few moments before in in the activity that were like that, that were like, oh, this is awesome, but that was the moment that was just like. Wow, this is a this is a life-altering activity. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for people that are fortunate enough to get into a position like that, you know.
0: So, how do, so going to Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, ASU, yeah. Arizona State, I should say, cuz you're already in Arizona. But going to Arizona State University
1: it's kind of a no-brainer for you at that point, right? I mean, it, so so my senior year goes, well, and I'm convinced I'm not going to do speech after high school. One hundred percent convinced. I, 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 I'm so happy to hear you say that. <laughs> I have my
0: own philosophies and something that I want to talk to you about. Uh, I guess when we get to your senior year in college, but walk us through it.
1: So I, so I go to, I go to national. Well, first of all, our Nat Qual tournament I go to, and um, <clears throat> I'm real. I, I, really feel a lot of pressure on me because I had a very successful year, mm-hmm. and the last time I'd been at Nat Quals, it went very. <laughs> It went poorly. I mean, I wound up getting fourth and not getting to go, even though I felt like I deserved to go. And I was going into the tournament, and I was losing my voice. And our nat quality, like, it just keeps going. And basically, if you get, like, two drop ballots, you're out. Right. So if you get two fours, you're, you're out or whatever. Um, and so the whole – everyone at the tournament just keeps performing round after round after round. So, like, there might be, like, a round that they think is semis, and then half of the round is going to take – six of those people are going to take – a drop oh wait none of those six had taken a drop yet now there's another round and only half of them drop out so now there's another semi so the tournament runs for a really long time it's really a very brutal tournament to put high school kids through um it's just like a really harrowing experience and i was just super stressed i was super nervous going into that tournament i was losing my voice and at the beginning of the tournament meg says okay paul like um we gotta get you to nationals are there any strike judges that you need? I was like, "What do you mean?" And she's like, "You can strike one judge that you th- that that you think would drop you if they got you. You're you're allowed one strike at this tournament." And there was a guy that flashed into my mind who earlier in the year I had walked into a round and I was double entered, and then um, the the tour- the the round was about to start, and he was like, "Okay, let's have our first speaker. You know, whatever Robert Cannon." And I was like, "Oh," and I could see they weren't double entered. So I was like, "Oh, actually, I'm I'm double entered, and I have to get to my other round." And he turns around and just gives me this shit-eating grin, and he's like, "Okay, Robert Cannon," and calls up the first speaker, and (laughs) like makes, and I was like, I was like entered fourth or fifth, and then the first person performs, and I was kind of like, "Okay, I don't think he understands." And then he calls up the second performer, and I was like, "Oh, excuse me, I have a I have to get to another round that's going to be waiting on me," and he's like, "I understand." calls up the second speaker calls up the third speaker and like makes me wait for these people that aren't a blender, And then I go, I perform. It's a really weird vibe. Right. And then, um, and then that guy tanks me in that round and you know, and his ballot was just the most patronizing, like don't try to tell an adult how to do something, you know, just a real shitty ballot. Gave me last in the round as low as speaker points as he could and I was like, "Fuck that guy." So that flashed into my memory of that guy, but I didn't know his name. So I was just like, "No, I don't have any strike strike balance." So going into that calls, I walk into round one. There he is, and that motherfucker's sitting there, and I walk in, and he and he gives me that same shit-eating grin. And then, after round one, Meg comes up to me <laughs> from from the ballot ballot room, and she's like, "Okay, Paul, you've really got to be on for the rest of the tournament." cuz you've got your first drop. And I was like, Jesus Christ, fucking round 1. 10 yeah. like I wish like can we go back and strike this guy? But you know what? At least it's out of the way. <laughs> at least you don't have to look forward to it.
0: <laughs> I mean like You guess. see him walking around the tournament and you're like, "Oh crap, that's like a this sort of damocles hanging over your head <gasps> I like, guess. I'm going to get him at I some guess, point.
1: but like I was also going in knowing one more drop I'm out. That's true. You know? But uh but yeah, so so uh I I it's, it's fine. I wind up winning the tournament. I go to nationals, and I, I go to nationals with Meg and a couple other people on the team, and, um, you know, Meg, Meg braises me, and she's like, it's going to be a little more political than you're used to. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you know, you've got a bit of a target on your back. You won Harvard. Like, you won the biggest tournament of the year. Um, and we're not traditionally – very successful at nationals like our region for whatever our style of speech doesn't translate well um i don't know if we just weren't a big enough kind of powerhouse school we didn't have the right coaches i don't know i I don't know what it was and really i've tried to stay out of high school politics because it is so nasty um and i i wind up not breaking out of prelims uh, Meg had written down all of my ranks because you don't get na- you don't get ballots back. Mm. Uh, Meg wrote down all of my ranks, and across the board, it was it was uh, ones and sixes almost every round. I split almost every ballot I had, mm. um, and so I, I I don't even think I was close to breaking because I had so many sixes, but I had like no twos and threes. Um, so, I that means you're doing something right. <laughs> Maybe I guess I, I don't know. Some people really hated what I was doing. Some uh-huh. people really lo- loved what I was doing. You know, honestly, um, I guess you know it's like you. I don't want to say rise rise to success too fast because I feel like I really put my time in my first year or two uh, to like get successful. But uh, but I had so much success my my senior year that I was uh, I was going into nationals being like primed by my team and my friends of like. Uh, you're going to bring home Arizona's first title at nationals. And so I, I started believing it. I started believing my own hype. I'm going to win nationals. And I thought, uh, and then I'm, and then I'm done with speech. And I didn't. And it was like, you know, a pretty shitty end to mm-hmm. kind of speech. Cause I was like, I was then watching people in the final round that, that I had beaten already, you know, at, at Harvard at state, you know, people i had competed against. And I was, you know, I was feeling a little jealous and, I did not have a college plan. I had no idea what I was gonna do. I wanted to start making movies. I thought I was done with, with speech. And I was just like, Well, I guess I'm done, but it's just it just ended on not the note I would have. That preferred. you wanted, yeah. Not the note I wanted. And you know. And that was okay. That was that was whatever. I feel like I feel like speech one of the best things speech does is really braces you for the real world. That's true. Cause I mean, nobody had the perfect speech career. Yeah. We've all had those moments of like that hurts. That really hurts, yeah. you know? And, and when it's, and, and when you have it's to deal with that, yeah. and there's fucking nothing you can do about it. Right. And it's just like, no, this adult said, no, you're not moving on. And that's, and that's that. And you can like scream, um, and raise your fists, but you're basically like screaming into the wind because everyone else is in the same situation. Right? Sure. You know? Um, so, so
0: you, you go to ASU for film, I yeah, and then it, that's what draws you in is the film department, is that right? Um, no.
1: Sort of. Um. So my my year, well, first of all, winning Harvard my senior year really opened up a lot of doors, kind of on the national speech circuit. So I started getting hired at like speech camps over the summer and okay. stuff like that. So I was. I'd never had a job before, so I start working like speech camps, and it's, and it's pretty cool, but I'm just like, I'm going to work for the summer, and I'm going to come home, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to st- start figuring out how to try and make movies. I don't know where I'm going to go. Um, and I get home, and uh, a guy that I competed with, Joe Guffey, he was on a different team than me. He was a year older than me, so he, was, he had just finished his freshman year at ASU on the speech team he uh he calls me one day and he's like um and he's like hey um can i take you out to dinner and i was like sure we'd never hung out before we'd only seen each other at tournaments and we were fans of each other and it was like kind of one of those things where it's like you know if these two guys hang out they're gonna be friends but like we weren't quite there yet so going out to dinner it did feel a little like kind of like an odd date kind of like uh i don't really know what this guy wants you know so he takes me out to dinner um, he takes me to an Italian restaurant and we're splitting a pizza. And he's like, um, he's like, "Hey, uh, so you know, I've heard you mention that you don't want to do college speech, but what's your what's your plan now?" And uh, I was like, "You know, I really don't know." And he was like, "And like the deadline to submit to ASU was in like two days at that point, and I hadn't submitted to college at that point." And he You're was going to take a gap year. <laughs> yeah, I was going to f- figure it out. You know. And I was I was like done with school. I wasn't interested in school really. Um, and Joe was like, um, "Well, if you don't know, you know, I have a proposition. Like, I have an idea for what you should do." And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "Apply Come to, to ASU. apply to ASU. Go to ASU. Join the speech team and be my dual partner." And I was like, "I don't know if I'm into that. I don't know if I want that strain on my brain that speech is." it's difficult and it's it is very rewarding but when it's not rewarding it's it's sometimes punishing and it's difficult and it's it's a lot of work mm-hmm. um and when it doesn't go your way it can be it can be tough when people don't kind of appreciate what you're doing or it's it's just so easy to tear someone down on a ballot um with all the hard work that they've done that you don't really know the hard work they've put into you know and i just didn't know if i wanted to deal with that shit anymore and by the end of dinner he was he had convinced me to apply and do speech, <laughs> and then I did. And the rest is history. <laughs> and then, and then I, and I went to, I went to ASU and to to do duo with Joe. So you start doing duos, uh-huh. and then
0: you also did you did duo with
1: Ryan Hubble as well
0: Mm-mm. while you were there. Mm-mm. No, Mm-mm. I thought you did. Was that was that Joe, Joe that did? Joe Joe did duo with Hubble as well. Okay, and you guys are you start to develop a pretty big powerhouse at ASU at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Hubble, you've got Joe, you've got you, AJ mm-hmm. is there. Yeah. And it, I, I guess, I mean, there's other people as well that maybe I, I don't know, uh, you know, as much, but mm-hmm. you're all, if not national champions, at least national finalists. And
1: I mean, ASU kind of, had they always had such a strong speech team? Um, I think the previous few years they had had a really strong speech team you know the kind of people i would see sometimes judging us or going to tournaments or whatever it seemed like they were pretty savvy and i think the few years before us was when they were really building a strong a strong team so i think the work had been done for it to be like kind of a it was always a small team but like i think asu was already kind of known as a small powerhouse and that's what we continued I think we just shifted the dynamic from what the team was to just something completely different, Hmm. which was, um, I don't know. It was such an odd little team, but yeah, we were, we were successful and the four of us and, and the other, you know, like five or six people that we had on the team were, were also successful and like, and brilliant as well. And I, it did sometimes feel bad because like the, it did seem like the four of us kind of outshone sometimes, uh, with the stuff people would talk about, but I know all four of us worked really hard on it, and yeah. it was and it was our lives for that for that time we were in college. It was it was hanging out, partying, working on speech, and going to tournaments. That was kind of what college became.
0: So, walk us through your college experience. Give us some of the highlights. What um, I want to talk about Sea Oak. But, okay. Yeah, uh, my senior you, year. Your duo. You know, you're what your you win duo at AFA your junior year, is that right? Uh yes.
1: So And that's with Joe Guffey? Yeah. Okay. So Joe and I, um our duo rankings were first, second and third. Not in that order. It was third, second, and first. Um for for Guff and I's duos. Obviously I couldn't do duo. No, what things. do you mean your duo rankings? Oh, at nationals? Like what we'd placed at nationals okay. in
0: duo. So your first year you took third. Your second year, you took second, and then your third year, you took first. Um, Is yeah, that
1: what you mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. m- yeah, more or less. Um, and so so let's see. Okay, I guess highlights of freshman year, uh, really just going on to a team and feeling like I have full control of the activity of what I'm doing, of kind of at least for a handful of my pieces, Um Really, having a very specific vision and a specific voice for what I want to do. And I think the kind of success of the four of us was each of us had such a different voice from the other, Mm -hmm. and we were all doing our own thing. I think that's why it kind of felt like maybe there was like small reverberations in the community for what we were doing on that team. It's like it felt original, it felt like we were kind of bringing our own voice to it. Because at that point, I was like, okay, well, I'll do speech, but. You know, you, you take a couple years to kind of figure it out, suss out what this activity is about, what you like, what you don't like. And then I wanted to spend my last couple years trying as hard as I could to, like, kind of change the activity, do things differently, as differently as I could possibly manage. Right. as like a single person. Still or, playing or within single. the
0: sandbox. Sure, but
1: yeah. Like I mean, there were ways? still speech pieces, but, right. like, you know, how original can I make a speech piece? Well, how- let me
0: jump ahead one second because I've actually talked about it on, on the show before. One of the pieces that... I remember most and and admire most was your poetry your senior year mm-hmm. which was so avant-garde and just in your face and i i still remember so much of it and i i look to that as kind of the template of oh this is the kind of stuff that you can do mm-hmm. and as i was cutting pieces later on i would be thinking about well if he's able to do that then how could i push the boundary even further and mm-hmm. use that as as If I'm using that as my start off place. Then you can really get crazy. Really, where can I start going? Yeah. And I think I built my reputation in part due to you. Wow. Thank you. Um, And and I really look at that as a huge inspiration because you pushed boundaries so much. And I'm going, I see what you're doing. And
1: it really resonated with me. Thank you. That poetry. That that means a lot. I'm I'm glad it did because um going into my senior year yeah we'll jump forward a little bit before I go back um going into my senior year it was like um I I was I was a film major I was in film school and Mm -hmm. I was watching I was going like when I was in school I'm watching movies and I'm discussing cinema and when I'm in speech I'm completely involved in speech and those two worlds just started to blend and I was watching a lot of I was at the time I was being introduced to a lot of very experimental cinema and I was getting really into uh Jean-Luc Godard and I will say he was probably the main influence on um on that poetry because I would watch you know, breathless and especially weekend and these movies where it's like, well, fuck the rules of cinema, you know? Um, so in the, in in the fifties, they're doing all these kind of fantasy factory dream machine movies, these, these quote unquote, like perfect movies, you know? And then the French new wave comes along and is like, well, who says that's what a movie is? And I was sitting there in class learning about all this stuff and watching these movies and thinking like, my God, I'm not doing anything for this activity. Like I'm not, i i'm I'm no guitar I'm not like challenging the boundaries of what we can do how can I do that and and like that sounds so egotistical and like such like a grand vision but like it really made me i had had at that point I had won nationals a couple times um and I was just like well you know what if I go into my senior year and I don't win nationals and uh, and I don't final or whatever who fucking cares I've already won like i've already like the names in the book or whatever so like why play it safe? Why do it the way I'm, quote-unquote, supposed to do it? I've been sort of slowly pushing the envelope a little more each year. Like, let's just go balls out. Well, not only that. I mean, you say, okay, well, it
0: sounds egotistical, but it's your mark. And it's, I mean, Godard is one man who makes a mark on cinema. He is not all of the cinema-going experience, but he certainly makes Mm -hmm. an impact. And other people look to French New Wave... And they draw inspiration from that, and that resonates in multiple film movements afterward. Yeah, and I, yeah. I just got through telling you, I'm watching what you're doing, and I'm inspired by that, and I create something new. Maybe it stops with me, or maybe someone watches me mm-hmm. and becomes inspired yeah. to keep continuing. So in that way, that avant-garde aggressiveness and and out-of-the-box style, I think, becomes more accepted. Mm-hmm. And, and we start looking at wow, you can actually do this kind of stuff. Um, and I'm, I've always been drawn toward that. So I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think it sounds egotistical. I think it sounds like you were trying to do something. Whether you're successful or not is a different matter. And yeah. so ultimately you were fairly successful with that poetry, right? I think
1: you, did you take second or third at uh, nationals or something? I took third at AFA, one NFA. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was cool. It was fun. It was great thank you. Um I was also I w- Sorry, my daughter's going ballistic. Oh, that's okay. She's 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 really sweet. I will say of that po- I don't want I don't want to like spend too much time harping on that poetry. What was great about that poetry? The I mean it was first of all a fucking blast to perform. Cuz yeah. when you're doing something that I mean, if you're going in and you're like, okay, traditionalists or uh or like, you know, some people are going to get really pissed off by this. Some people are going to get energized by this hopefully most people are just entertained by this. Right. But there was rounds. You'd go in and you're in rounds with freshmen or, you know, seniors that it's their first tournament or or whatever. You're in rounds with people. And with that piece, more than most of the stuff I had done when I was performing it, the looks on people's faces was my favorite part because some people are just like, giving me a fuck you kind of look and some, and, but most people are just kind of like smiling and nodding and, and into it. And then every once in a while you'd see a face that's, it's just like, you know, like, well, like you could wow. see them thinking, yeah. whoa, what is this guy doing? We can do that? Yeah. It's like, of course you can. You can do whatever the fuck
0: you want. Yeah, Another moment that you had your senior year, there was a, a duo that you had done with, um, oh, who was it? Uh, red hair. Clemp. Clemp. Nick Clemp. Nick Clemp. I was about to say Eric Dern, but I knew it wasn't Eric. No, 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 no. Um, but you guys had a really fun duo and there was a great moment with it. You do a high five and you know, the rules of duo say you can't touch, but you slam your books together and you're in a high five pose and you freeze frame in the duo. And I remember seeing that. And that was the first moment when I thought college speech is not what I thought it was. And you said earlier that you didn't want to do college speech and it, I, had, I remember seeing duos of college speech when I was in high school and thinking, this is not good. This uh, High school is so much better. When I saw you guys, I remember where it was. I remember it was a Long Beach tournament. <laughs> I remember seeing it and just going, okay, this is different than what I thought. And, and I was like, I'm so impressed and just... That's awesome. You guys oh, had thanks. it all
1: tricked out, and I was really, really <laughs> impressed by that piece. Thank you, thanks. Yeah, that one was a lot of fun. That was—I uh, mean, I don't know if we're going to delve into this into this topic. That was a home right. No, wasn't. It? Yeah, it was a home right, but some people look down on. But um, yeah, that was a lot of fun, and I and I will say. Um, I mean it like but if based on this conversation if anyone's listening to this and and, and does not know anything that I've like done in speech uh, it probably just sounds like I was just like crazy and doing you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. I do think there's uh, a lot to learn for coming in learning the rules of the activity, learning the parameters that right. most people perform within getting really good at that. Kind of like master, you got you like you have to like really master the activity before you can you have to learn to walk before you can run, right? Well, or Be- you know if it was always
0: explained to me like Picasso was a good artist on his own right, and then he starts to change, change it out and get into cubism, all this other stuff. Yeah. But you have to be a good artist first. You have to understand how to do the activity before you can start breaking the
1: rules. Yeah, and I, and it certainly took me a while, as we've already discussed. It took me a while to feel like I learned the activity, like a, a solid two years of doing it before I felt confident enough to really cut my uh, own pieces to the degree that I was doing and kind of manipulate the comedy and manipulate the text the way that I was doing my senior year with like my HI um, and was doing it uh, in, in college as well. And yeah, I was just kind of like, uh, I wouldn't say getting bored with the activity, but like, yeah, was was becoming way more interested in, in what we could do and how we could push it. Mm-hmm. You know, something, uh, I mean, I mean, God damn, how much fucking speech have we watched at this point? How many speeches have we watched? Hundreds of hours of speeches. Thousands of yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like so much time we spent doing it and i will take a phenomenal piece any day of the week of course and i will watch the shit out of a terrible piece don't bring me average i'm yeah. so sick of watching run of the mill average performances and like how difficult is it to rank around where there's not a standout you know and it's yeah. like oh yeah you're all you're all pretty good i guess you know so now it's there's like nothing bad Yeah there's nothing bad Why? But now I gotta give uh, Now I gotta give a five To someone who's You know It's probably just as good As, as the one But it's also like Just sort of the same Yeah You know And I, I don't That was where my Tolerance was uh, I didn't have For the activity I just did not want Anyone to walk away From around Being like Well that was You know That was kind of Run of the mill That was average So same thing like so if you hate it you're Like you can hate it And I'm okay with you Hating it um if you love it even better, um if you're disgusted by it, great it, it, i I want you to feel something, you know, and like when i go when I went for the drama, I would really I really wanted you to feel the drama. when I went for the poetry, I mean, I love poetry. I love the event of poetry. that was the first my junior year, that was the first thing I won nationals with at AFA with with poetry. I, l- I fucking love poetry, the act of performing poetry is sort of silly. <laughs> and I feel like most people don't fully grasp it. Don't really get it. I feel mm-hmm. like you see a lot of like faking, like they understand poetry and kind of delivering in the same cadence that they've seen other people delivering in. Um, I, I kind of lost track of, of what I was saying. Uh, but. Well, I have a question for you. Yeah. I've mentioned earlier
0: sea oak. I want to get okay. back to. Okay. Sea okay. Oak. okay. You and I had a conversation. This is after you had, uh, after you had stopped forensics, you know, you uh, had, you uh-huh. graduated. Okay. And, um, And we were talking one time and you told me, you said, and and maybe you don't feel this way anymore, but at the time, I remember you saying to me, um, somehow the conversation got into pieces that you would either, either wanted to go back to or pieces that you felt like the best you had ever performed. And you Uh mentioned Sea Oak Uh and you got me interested and I was kind of like, oh man. And you kind of told me it was this weird little piece about, you know, whatever. And never really did very well at Uh tournaments or nationals. And then I found it online and i went oh there it is i can watch it you know like i cuz the sad part about so many of these pieces is that they don't they don't exist anymore you like found they, my performance online yeah oh it's on youtube i don't know if you know that oh really yeah interesting and i watched it and was like this is awesome <laughs> i <laughs> loved you. it thank you and it's a really fun funny performance <laughs> and i actually use it sometimes um, as an exemplar of of how to do interpretation and one of the 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 reasons why is I show like what's in the text, and then I show what you're doing. And I'm like, do you see his non-verbals here are are really enhancing the text? And the text says this, but he's showing more. And so a great example of that. There's this one scene uh, in the in the prose where the main character goes to his aunt's funeral, mm-hmm. and somebody has to say something at the funeral, and he says, "Yeah, one time she." Uh, went to Quigley, Kansas, and somebody <laughs> took a dump in her suitcase. And then you let this moment of silence, this awkwardness happen. And then you step back. Well, you know, e- uh, eulogy over. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a great little moment. And then somebody apparently kind of puts their hand on your shoulder. <laughs> and you turn to them and you go, thank you, thank you. And then nothing is said. There's no words there. But you've built a world. And I'm like, oh, that you. is thank great you. interpretation. Thanks, and that man. little moment, I use it to show people... Like this is interpretation because if I gave that same text to somebody else, they wouldn't have performed it that way. Mm-hmm. It's truly your vision and your imagination that made it come to light. And I think, um, I think there needs to be more of that. And even just the way yeah. people coach, I think we, we got to do more world building of where are you, how yeah. do you interact with your environment sure. and, and things like that. And I don't think there's enough of that going on. I, I, but I, I do would, have a question about it, but go ahead and see what you to okay. say. But have so so
1: it. when it comes to Sea Oak, which was my pros my senior year, yep. and it was one of my favorite pieces that I performed. Um so like let's get away from the whole like kind of uh you know, groundbreaking, how do we change the activity kind of line of of uh discussion and just go to like choosing a piece. Yeah. Um why I loved Sea Oak so much is that it, it resonated with me. I love drama, comedy, traipsing that line. I love Sad humor, you yeah. know, in th- that I read that story and it had such a melancholy, beautiful tone that was so fucking funny, but it was also just heartbreaking. Yeah, I loved the story. So it all starts with George Saunders who wrote that, who wrote that, um, that, well, that brilliant story. That segues into my question. So
0: after seeing it, I'm like, I gotta read the story. Okay, so I read George Saunders, read pretty much everything of George Saunders because I fell in love with brilliant it. Like, writer. this is a great writer. Yeah, um, and I felt like a lot of you know, almost all of his his stories really center on class issues, like issues of wealth and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and <clears throat> class determinism and things like that. And when I went back and watched your piece, um I found a criticism in the argument. And the argument that you had made was that we should appreciate life while we're here. And that argument is there within the within the piece, but I felt like George Saunders probably would have said, that's not really what it was aiming for. It was more about class determinism and like raising up and how do you get out of poverty and things like that. Mm-hmm. So the question I wanted to ask you is, do you do you feel like that? Like you were saying earlier that as you're older now and you look back on on some of the pieces, mm-hmm. do you feel like, I mean, I, I look at that one and I, and I think if I was in your situation, I probably would have made a similar argument to mm-hmm. set up the piece. And after going through grad school and, and learning a little bit more about Some of these other ways of examining texts and movies and things like that. I think I, if I were in your position, I would have written a different intro. I wonder if that crosses your mind about like the way that you set up certain pieces. Um, not to say that it was wrong; it was there. What your argument for that? No, I understand. I understand.
1: Uh, like honestly, I have not revisited it in in quite some time. The intro that I had was uh. I mean, I didn't remember what the intro was until you just said it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. It. I remember the intro, the argument I was making. I only know it because I show it quite a bit. I do remember the struggle with the intro. So am I going to look back on something and get, like, kind of a different interpretation of it as I get older? Of course. Now yeah. that I'm out on my own, I'm out in L.A., and I'm kind of struggling to survive – if I go back and revisit Sea Oak, am I going to get a different meaning out of it? Yeah, probably. Then, like, kind of a generic enjoy life while you have it, I guess, yeah. was was the argument. Like, um, okay, that's fine. I do remember specifically with Sea Oak um, kind of having this moment of thinking, oh, God, intros are so stupid. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that story was so good, and I really loved what I did with it. And I had a discussion with a few teammates of, like, um... Guys, how stupid is it going to be if I close the book after my teaser and I say Sea Oak by George Saunders and open my book so that I can spend as much time with the text as I can? Mm -hmm. Uh, Who really cares about my take on this text? So what I do recall about the intro is it's quite brief. I think it's a couple sentences. Yeah, it's not long. Relatively generic. Um, And the, the intro, what I was pulling out of the story, I don't feel was incredibly important i feel like it was the the story would i go back and rewrite a different intro probably um the intro wasn't something i spent a lot of time on
0: it's a great piece if if you could find it i
1: know it's kind of hard to
0: find um i think i had to go through like arizona's forensic channel i think i found something else and then (laughs) they have a forensic speech channel That's with wild. like a bunch of Andy Stone's old, uh, okay. ADS's and stuff. Okay. And then I saw a sea
1: oak and I went, Oh, there it is. And it's great. <laughs> You'd it's never amazing. seen it.
0: I'd never seen it. Oh, I, don't, I, never I heard performed. you talk
1: about it, but I'd never actually got yeah, to see it. It, it, it was one of the, it was one of the, one of the worst times I'd done it national. It was one of my worst ranked pieces mm-hmm. of that I'd ever done. Um, It was almost last in every round and in a way kind of ending my, I mean, I didn't end my senior year with that. I had pieces that were successful and, and, um, and, and did well at nationals and everything. But with that piece, it, it sort of like was like, okay, you know, that's okay. Because I felt like Sea Oak, uh, the, the kind of stuff I was, oh, fuck me. Seahawk wasn't my senior year. seal was my junior year. Was it? Yeah, yeah, it was my junior year. Um, but you know what it is? Whatever. It's a testament. I've said this before. I've talked
0: to other people, and I truly believe pros is the biggest grab bag event. Oh, you sure. could be for rocking sure. it all year long, and you get to pros and college nationals, and it's like, nope, last in every round. Yeah. And the exact opposite is true. You could be last all year long, qualify somehow by a miracle, and you wind up winning. And it's yeah. like... I, there's just no real predictability in my mind. It
1: really is, and I mean, what like no matter how I did with that piece, um, like my biggest disappointment was like not breaking it at nationals because when I got that piece in front of an audience, it was explosive. Yeah. Um, when I got it in front of an audience in prelims, it was looks of confusion. Right. Like what the fuck? That this makes sense. fucking weird. But w- when I was choosing that piece, um, it was uh, my friend Courtney Wright actually uh, turned me onto it. He's like, hey. There's a very strange story. I think you'll like it. And and he, he sent it to me and I read it and I fell in love with it. Um, when it comes to, cho- I think we should talk about choosing lit for yeah. a minute because it's, it's, um, I, you know, you try, like you, you read scripts, you can't help but think, uh, w- will this be competitive? Is this something that I should be even putting out into the world? Which I, I wish we could just e- expunge that thought from every competitor's mind and really have it focused on does this resonate with me? Is this something I connect with? Yeah. And that's the most important thing that takes sort of a backseat to, oh, this would be a good in a moment. This would be a good dramatic Well, it's know, trying to assume turn. all this stuff about your audience that you don't even know who you they are. You don't even know. You don't know what's going to connect with your audience. Right. And if it's connecting with you, it's going to connect with someone. It's much more likely anyway. I mean, like what you're saying about, I had no idea you use it to teach and you've like found some bootleg performance of it like that's that's wild to me hearing that that's 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 crazy it's flattering um and now i'm like kind of wondering about the performance that that was recorded and that's really good it's uh, a good one okay thank you um well that's good to hear uh but like that resonated with me okay so that didn't resonate with a lot of my judges but i love that story and clearly that resonated with you like that's that's it's stuck with some people if you find something that sticks with you for whatever reason you find it funny you find it Heartbreaking. You find it um, touching. You find it whatever. You find it just different, interesting, whatever. Then you should probably do it. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, not even if you think there's no way this is going to be successful. Well, if nothing
0: else, you just won't grow bored of it. You know, and like you, you stand a much better chance of connecting with people because you're paying attention to what you're saying.
1: Yeah, and you know, the best example I can I can really think of that is is the the duo that Joe and I did my junior year, his senior year, the one that we wound up winning nationals with. It was it was a script um, that we wrote uh, and we wanted to write something that reflected our friendship with each other, our relationship, Mm because at the time, you know, it was like he was going to he was about to graduate and he was going to move out to L.A. And it was like, obviously we knew we were going to remain friends, but like it was a it was an emotional year for us because I was going to have to venture into this activity my last year without the guy who brought me into it, mm-hmm. more or less into college speech, you know, and that was that was pretty scary. It was like, he was my rock. He was my, my biggest supporter. Uh, he was the first person I showed pieces to. And whether he was genuinely convinced they weren't as funny as he was reacting or not, I mean, it's like his reactions were so off the wall, like laughing so hard that it would like be like, okay, I'm on the right track. Oh, it is really funny. I should move on to this. Um, and so we we wanted a piece to re, kind of reflect that friendship as much as we could and and we we wrote something that was very offensive and risqué and we thought you know we need to go out on this note no matter if Uh, it does well or not like we need to do this for for us for our relationship for our kind of um duo career we want to end it on a very specific note and uh we showed it to a couple people on the team right when we put it up and and one of our coaches and they weren't laughing very much Mm -hmm. and we finished and the consensus was like you guys are out of your fucking minds and like I mean, you're throwing away your last year of duo. I mean, if it makes you happy, it makes you happy, whatever. And that was kind of, it was it was not like a thrilling way to start that first piece. Mm-hmm. And then our coach at the time, Brian Davis, you know, pulled the two of us aside. And, you know, when Brian said, like, hey, whether it's successful or not, um, it doesn't matter. When I was watching you guys do this, I thought, yeah, this has to be their last duo. And like him saying that was like, let's fucking, let's do this. Let's, let's rock, rock this. It. Yeah. And I mean, uh, there's no way we expected to win nationals. It was like, it, it's just, speech is so funny. It's like, you need the, you, you need the perfect storm of events. You can work is you can work your fucking ass off. You can go crazy breaking your neck, working all year on a piece. That's only going to be about 50% of, of, winning a title right you can work as hard as you can but you have to have incredible luck you have to get a run of judges that's on your wavelength you have to um there's so many like
0: well somebody always explains to me this way there's three things that happen in the round you the judge and the other competitors and there's only one of those three that you can control
1: yeah and, and that's a big part of it, yep. but it's not all of it. Right. And so that's why, you know, people really shouldn't beat themselves up when they don't do well, because it's like, like fate is swirling around. Not fate, like something smaller than fate for speech. But like there's, there's so many. Lowercase f. Fate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, you know, in, in, in like any other day of the week the results for that tournament would turn out different. Right. The ballot pool, um, the judge selection is a little different, you know, even if you like organize it 20 minutes later, the tournament might be totally different. Sure. You know? So it's kind of like... It is what it is. It is what it is. You get speech, you get speech success, great, that'll build your confidence, uh, but ultimately, I mean, it doesn't really matter because, you know... I think that that's true
0: to a a point, but there are... it's when you're talking about the elite, like the people that are highly competitive, because there is a group of people that can consistently get to that upper echelon. Do you sure. know what I mean? Of course. Yes. And what you're talking about is absolutely true for the people in that elite status. Yeah. And that 1% of 1% of people that do this activity, when they get there, it's anybody's day. Yeah. And those are usually the people that you see in national final rounds, usually, or at least semis maybe even some quarters in there. But the people who aren't aren't getting to that, I don't know that it's just it's just the way that the, the round is run because those people that are in the upper echelon, they have a way of almost always consistently getting there. And I know what you're saying, that it really just kind of depends on a number of different factors, but there are some people who always seem to get there. Do you know what I mean? Um, and yeah. maybe they don't win, but
1: they're in the consideration, and that's what I'm saying. Sure, but I think once you start getting there... I mean that helps. Yeah. But the, the politics is a huge reputation. a huge part of it. Yeah. You walk into a you walk into a round and someone knows who you are and they don't know who the other five are. It's like I mean, you, you got a you, huge you, advantage. A huge advantage. Yeah. You know, and it takes you a couple of years to kind of earn that advantage. Yep. Sometimes. Yep. Um. But I mean, and everyone uses it. Everyone plays the game. Everyone like. I've been benefited from
0: it. I know I have. Where I've been sure. like, oh man, I, that, I just got beat, and then you wind up winning, and I'm going, oh, no, no, no. That, that's that's <laughs> reputation win.
1: You walk into a round, and and then you think like, fuck yeah, that person's my judge, right? And that person loves me, you yeah. know. So it's you know it's yeah, it is what it is. It is, and, I, and I shouldn't be so uh, glib about speech success because I do know that it it was very important to me early on, um, in what in like a little less. So once I got it, you know, mm. um, and kind of like making my mark on the activity became the thing that I was obsessed with, not necessarily kind of what happened from it. And, and I do know that it is, it is a, a a big thing that happens for a lot of people. I should not be so glib about it and say it does, it doesn't matter. But however, when you kind of told me about this podcast and asked me to be a part of it, I was kind of reflecting on the types of things that, uh, that I could remember and that mattered to me in, and, and after a long time of kind of pontificating about, speech I realized I hadn't been thinking at all about success winning nationals or or whatever it was like I was thinking about like the van rides from Arizona to California with my team you know I was thinking about like dicking around in the hotel room with like some of my best friends I was thinking about going to tournaments and meeting people in this like amazing community that makes you feel really welcome you know especially early on in speech I'm sure a lot of us come to this activity not brimming with confidence and not having tons of friends um but a lot of us get that through this activity Mm. you know and that's when I was kind of reflecting on it and it's so funny I was running errands today I was driving in my car and a song came on that was a song that me and my team listened to a lot one year like right when it came out and that song came on and I was just kind of mindlessly driving, um, running errands, I, mind was blank, wasn't thinking anything, wasn't feeling anything, wasn't feeling good, wasn't feeling bad, I was feeling nothing, and and, and and it was just a song, and it came on, and I listened to it, and, like, I was filled with such warmth thinking about these people mm. that, like, I competed with, and really that's what it, that's what it what comes down, down to, to it, yeah. whether you have the success, whether you don't have the success, it's, like, those relationships you foster, and, like, I wish I could go back and tell myself, Yeah, work as hard as you worked. Be as obsessed as you want with the activity. Sure, because I do think the activity really helped me gain enough confidence to ultimately start kind of like making movies because I don't think I would ever have have the confidence to like make that jump if I had not had speech building me up for so many years. Um, But like, I think I would like tell myself like, hey, uh, when you're going to this shitty little tournament, that doesn't really matter. You're just going to go get a few legs and you're going to try to call something to, to nationals. Like just so you know z- you're currently making some of the best memories of your life, you know? <laughs> and it's, cr- it's crazy to look back on those, those four years in college and the, you know, in the three years that I had in high school, just, just, a uh, in impossible amount of like amazing experiences yeah. in, in like an amazing experience doesn't have to be like a huge thing, like winning nationals, but like playing hacky sack with your team or like, yeah. you know, Someone made this joke uh, late at night and you guys couldn't stop laughing. You know what I mean? Well, one thing I would be remiss if I
0: didn't bring up um, is I'm s- my daughter's going. nuts. It's all, right, it's all right, man. Um, one thing I'd be remiss about is uh, not bringing up what is what was commonly called the Paul Davis rule, which is a change, at least in local tournaments. Um, when you started judging, you changed the activity. Uh, because there was a new no tie on speaker points rule that was instituted, um, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that because you
1: when did that when did that go into effect? I know. Oops, sorry. Your That's mic. okay. I um, I didn't judge an incredible amount of time when I came out here to LA. A few years. It was yeah, you know, a couple, a year or two, and I think it was just com- commonly called
0: this Paul Davis rule because I didn't. Know it that. was known that Paul would he would rank. 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, but the speaker points gave everybody 25
1: speaker points. Mm -hmm. So what's the philosophy behind that? The philosophy, um, I I will say, was nothing I was going to live or die by. Mm. When I went to nationals, I didn't judge that way. Mm. I, I didn't do that at AFA. I didn't do that at NFA. I didn't even do that at like Fire O'Pie or anything like that. I did that at our local tournaments in California. Because I, I do think speaker points are, are pretty stupid, um, very arbitrary, especially when it comes down to determining, like, a big – a big tour. Like, I lost a national title to speaker points. I took second in prose my senior year at nationals, and it was by, like, mere speaker points. And, like, now I look back, and it, does, it doesn't matter. But at the time, it's like, ooh, that stings. Yeah. You know, speaker points? And I guess my problem with them was that there's – um so when you're judging 1 through 1 through 6 it's like there's a judging paradigm it's like there's the best one gets the one the worst one gets the 6 there's no rhyme or reason for speaker points right there's nothing even on the ballot that says treat speaker points this way at least there wasn't back when i was judging um and it's and it was like you would meet some people that were like in the 20 years i've been coaching speech I've only given three perfect scores. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for the fourth, and it's like fuck you, you snob, you know. And then you meet people who only ever really lowball the speaker points. Mm-hmm. So it was like really a luck of the draw. Hopefully you didn't get one of those judges that you know never gives like good speaker points. But there's no rhyme or reason. There's no. There's no. It's just that yeah. There's no paradigm. For everybody's it. first place
0: is first place. Everybody's yeah, exactly. But not everybody's first place is a twenty-five so what are we doing now
1: exactly yeah so i'm gonna give someone a 125 someone else is gonna give them a 123 23 23 or 20 you know right or or what does it even mean like 117 117 sure if someone stumbles do you suddenly are you actually docking them speaker points or when you're filling out your ballot is it just a knee-jerk reaction totally offhanded well
0: i'm i'm not only on your side, but I am. I take it a step further because debate is the worst when it comes to this because some people use fractions. Oh, Jesus Christ! Right, you're you're giving like a 29.8, not even a half, but like 0.8. And Paul, I I kid you not, I have seen a ballot that said 27.653. Oh my God,
1: that's so and stupid! I'm going,
0: what are you talking about? Like you have now created a scale that I mean is. Not infinite, but near infinite, if we're going to get to the
1: (laughs) hundredth. It's silly. It gets silly. And you know what? Um, This is going to sound very nerdy. I have (laughs) part of the reason of my disdain for speaker points is in, so I went to NFA and I went to AFA and NFA my senior year with this poetry that we were talking about earlier, this breaking formula poetry. And I had a judge throughout the year who would saw it a few times and fucking just hated it. You know, you're cheating. He would write on my ballot. And I was like, I'm not cheating. I'm not doing anything that other people can't do. You right. know, I'm just choosing to do stuff a little different. And he would just tank me every time. And when I, um, when I walked into the AFA final, who's the chair of the round, right? Mm-hmm. Who's sitting there. And I'm like, okay, here's this fucking guy. Here we go. Yeah. Jeremy something. Um, and I don't feel bad calling him out. So I, I do my, my my poetry and I thought it was a pretty good performance and I thought it was pretty moving and I, and I do it and it seemed to resonate pretty well with the crowd. And when I get my balance back um, at, the, at, at the end of the tournament, um, this guy has not only given me uh, last place, he gave me zero speaker points. This is a national final round. <laughs> zero speaker points. Went to the ballot table. They wouldn't let him do it. He, he crossed out the zero and gave me one speaker point. And so that was just like a, that was like a, hey, fuck you, buddy. I'm going to do everything I can to prevent you from winning nationals. Yeah. Everything in my power. And the ballot table got his uh, six, one, you know, rank six, one speaker point ballot back and encouraged him to change it. And he wouldn't. And that was that. What are you gonna do? So that's how they're the most arbitrary thing. Yeah. And it was just like, I'm fucking sick of this. And so in my office at home, I then went to I I then went to NFA and I got judged by Oh oh. And oh first of all, this guy's ballot, all it said was no. Just huge NO on my ballot. National final ballot. Six one speaker point. You gotta frame that. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> um at NFA, I get judged in a round. Um, by I think he's I think he's still coaching. I think he's still like pretty prominent in the in the speech community. Tyler Billman, um, who I didn't particularly know him that well, but you know I, we chatted a couple times and I thought it was nice. And he and he wrote me a ballot for that poetry. And speaker points were different at that tournament; they were up to one hundred. Right, you know, um. And all Which he, I actually think is actually better, too, if you're going to yeah. have speaker points, because yeah. at least most people know what 100 is. Yeah, yeah, and they're not going to weigh it quite as heavily. Right. And um, in his ballot said, um, for every ballot you've received that say no, all I have to say is, and then his ballot was huge, yes, Y-E-S, <laughs> taking up most of the ballot, 1, 100. So I actually have— So he knew— he knew what your ballot said? The the guy who gave me the the six with the one speaker point, he went around and started bragging about it mm. to his team, he coached at Bradley, and I guess the coaches and kind of students that he started bragging to were immediately like, "You did what? Like that's fucked up. What are you what are you doing? That's embarrassing. Like yeah. what a what a shameful thing to do to someone who's in the national final." Like right. like he came out like, "I just fucked over Paul Davis." And it was like, "Why? What a petty little prick, yeah. right?" Um, and a few people on the, uh, on the team that like I was friendly with came up and were like, Hey, you're going to get a very bad ballot. And that does not reflect our team. That doesn't reflect us. We're really sorry. Um, and that meant a lot, but you know, I mean, the guy was just like, he was just like a petty little turd, you know? So I actually have those two ballots framed <laughs> in the same frame hanging in my office. And that's really the only kind of speech stuff I I have in my place, um, hanging in my office because I feel like those two ballots just perfectly encapsulate like my my speech career yeah no and yes no and yes so 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 I guess um and also like you know we've all been to national we, we've all been to nationals and then not broken by a variety, by, by speaker points, you know, like this happened. I, I didn't win a title based off speaker points alone. I didn't break into the quarter because of speaker points. I just decided uh, when I was coaching at that point in California, I was not as into it as I used to be. And I my philosophies on the activity were changing a bit. Uh, the community that I was judging in, it wasn't it wasn't cutthroat. It wasn't really like diehard. It wasn't dire. And I would watch like a lot of performances that were not phenomenal, but with like kind of struggling performers. And I just thought, you know what? I'm never going to be that motherfucker that keeps you out of that round because of my totally arbitrary speaker point. So I was just like, you know what? If I give this guy who's not very good a six and he gets the ballot back and he sees a six with 25, maybe he's going to go damn, this must have been a good round. Right, I, I don't feel so bad about this six. Like, I was probably close to one. And it wasn't just to make people feel better. It was also because they're such a... I just felt that they were such a stupid tiebreaker. Right. And I just didn't want to take part in it. And I'm never going to go to any sort of voting meeting or um, whatever, wherever the rules are determined, wherever the events are created, I'm never going to go to one of those and vote on anything. That, you know, few month or year or two period that I was judging ballots and and not doing speaker points, just giving everyone a perfect speaker point, that was just my way of being like, I'm just going to make some little waves right here and and, and just make people talk about the problem that is speaker points. Well, I think... I mean, I will tell you. And then eventually, I guess they just said, you can't do that
0: anymore. (laughs) Yeah, but that resonated with me. And, uh, you know, I'm the president of the middle school speech league in Southern California. And we don't have speaker points now. So we took it off. We'd use other tie break methods and decimal and number firsts, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's all these other ways to break a tie that are fair. That don't involve speaker points, and I'm very proud of that. And nice. part of that came from nice man what what you did. So cool. again, these l- little moments that you think <laughs> of as just like ah eh, whatever, but they actually do resonate, and you know they have an impact on the community.
1: That's that's good to hear because I know it did it did piss some people off. I right, did I, I did that. have some coaches coming up to me being like what the fuck are you doing, man? Like just cut it out, just judge it normal. And I'm like, okay, well tell me what this what the normal speaker points is. Well, 25 for the one, 24 for the two, 23 for the three. And I like, well, that's normal for you. But, like, no one's well, saying what that. What th- you're also doing is you're just creating the rank again. <laughs> yeah. I just did that. Yeah, it's like I've already done that. And, like, the person who speaks, f- like, who's getting my five might have given a perfectly fluid, articulate speech. Why aren't they getting the 25? It's just so arbitrary. The fact that it's not. The same, okay, so obviously some people aren't using a judging paradigm, fine, uh, uh, normally. So it's like, I'm going to drop this guy because I don't like them or whatever. But like, ideally, we're not supposed to do that. But nobody's eye to eye on speaker points. That's why they were, that's why they are a problem. Yeah. is because nobody said like, this is how we want the ballpark of, you know, the one is going to be kind of in this vicinity too. You know, it's like there's. But how do you even measure it? Because there's so many other. How do you measure
0: it? Other things. And that's what rank is for. Rank is for. If you, if you want
1: number of flubs to be the deciding factor, then you've got that. That's what you've got for rank. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So it's just, the whole thing is just very flawed, I felt. And honestly, once I started doing that, it made judging the rounds a lot more fun and a lot easier because I'm not really racking my brain over, well, do they deserve the 22 or the 21? It was just like, I finished the round. I would already have my ranks kind of ranked out. Like, I like this person the best. This person was, you know, the weakest in the round. Um... 25, 25, 25, 25, 25, Great job. Good job. Good job. You know? Um, I just thought, yeah. I don't know. I think it's a good idea. Oh, thanks.
0: Hey, man. This is the part of the show where we go to the final round. (laughs) Okay. Final round, Paul. These are 10 questions that we ask every guest that comes on the show. Okay. Let's begin with question number one. Mm -hmm. Were you superstitious in speech?
1: Yes. Awesome. I would... I was. Not that I thought it would have necessarily uh, a factor in the outcome of a tournament, but me and my whole team did do things exactly the same every time. Like, before we would go to a... We'd do a ton of blow. (laughs) No, nothing like that. But before we'd go to, like, a travel tournament, the morning we were going to drive out or fly out, not everyone on the team, but a handful of us, me... Um, Joe, Victor, Hubble would go to the same restaurant, which was like a like a dorm restaurant. We would go to the same restaurant and get an omelet from the same guy who made omelet, who ran the omelet bar. Timoteo, he would make our omelets. And if we went there and someone else and it wasn't Timoteo working, we were like, "Oh shit, I've gotta get an omelet from this." Bad weekend. juju. Yeah, yeah. And so it it was more so just kind of forming traditions with people is fun and bonding more so than superstitious, mm. but I did also hang on to everything. Everything someone gave me, um, I would hang on to that. Like uh, someone would give me a sweet little note at the beginning of a tournament, I'd hang on to that. Someone would give me, uh, we had a little joke going at like a like a restaurant and, and someone used a straw for something, I'd keep that straw. I would keep everything. So I had a shoebox full of S- mementos. Junk. Yes. Junk that meant nothing to anybody. Um, and a few of them were way more meaningful than, than others. Like my freshman year of, uh, college speech, I was in a, uh, POI quarterfinal and a girl that, uh, I wound up being in the duo final with, but I didn't know this at the time, but, um, she wound up winning duo at nationals that year. And Joe and I took third to her and her partner and they, they were doing this really cool duo. And, um, whatever. She came up to me after the POI quarter and she was like, um, she was like, Hey, this is gonna sound, this is gonna sound a little weird, but my coach, she's kind of a hippie, kind of a witch. And, uh, she took all of these pennies and, you know, did some like juju with them, did a little prayer over them, let them sit out side uh on you know (laughs) the night of a full moon to absorb a perfect amount of energy everyone on the team has one penny and at nationals if we see a performance that moves us beyond anything else we'd seen at the tournament just something that compelled us to give them that penny then we should then we should do that and you know i don't know you my I i forget her name um but she was like um she was like, This is this is the penny. And I was like, Holy shit, thanks. That's fucking great. You know Uh, and then she gave me the penny and um and because I because this penny I, will will decrease your ability so I can win. <laughs> oh god, it worked. But but I held on to that penny my whole speech career. Oh wow. I held on to everything my whole speech career. And then at the end of every year, we have a willing ceremony where you will will down something to another. A person below you like mm. the seniors would give stuff to the juniors and freshmen, freshmen, sophomores yeah. yeah and um and so like one of the big things was like a black book that had been handed down for like generations right and i didn't have the black book it was handed down to someone else or whatever so that's like a big thing and you know someone i mean the really big thing was like uh hubble handed down the kegerator to nick clemp right <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, the clemp made clemp cried at that um and when it was my turn to like will stuff down, when I was a senior, I pull out this fucking shoebox, and had thought about everything everyone was getting. But like everyone left that willing c- ceremony with like five or six things that probably I'm sure went in the trash. But um, you know, and I don't remember who I willed my the penny down to, but I had to give that penny to to someone else, and I willed down this and that, and like all of the stuff I had, I I, I knew I was gonna either will all of it away. And just go into nationals light with nothing, with, like not weighing me down, but like I dispersed it amongst my speech family, and then I uh, it was I was either going to do that or I was going to hang on to every single little trinket for the rest of, rest and, of your life, and I yeah. didn't want to, and I gave all of it away, and it was kind of freeing. It was That's like good. Very, very like a Marie Kondo moment, <laughs> I guess, a decade before that was a thing. All right, question number two: Who is the competitor you
0: most admired?
1: Hmm. <laughs> Well, I will say um, that before Joe and I became teammates and, and dual partners, we it was like a mutual respect. You know, he was the first guy that I saw do poetry that was like, oh, damn, that was cool. That wasn't, I kind of thought poetry was kind of a lame event. Um, so it would, it would be Joe, but it would also be, it wasn't necessarily admired, but it was very much like, um, initially was very competitive with, uh, so me, Joe, AJ and Hubble, we all competed together in Arizona on different teams in high school. And I was not competitive with AJ, but AJ uh, when I was, you know, a sophomore and junior was like this unstoppable force. Like you could not the beat beast. him. Yeah. You couldn't beat him at a tournament. Yeah and um and especially HI. Oh my god, my sophomore year, was one of the first HI's I saw and it was just the fucking funniest thing. It was Good Omens, which is a show now, but it was so goddamn funny and creative and I was like, "Holy shit, this guy's like a genius," right? Who ultimately he, he did turn out to be quite the speech genius. He just right. like really understood the activity more than like anyone who's ever done it. But um but I was like, uh pff, I'm going to throw Meg under the bus for a minute. But um at the end of my senior year, Meg well, or at the end of my sophomore year, my really shitty year, Meg is like, okay, Paul, what's your goal for next year? Um, what can we work on? What can we focus on? And I was like, um, jokingly, I said, oh, well, I'd really like to beat AJ in humor, in HI. And she was like, well, if that's your goal, forget it, because it's not going to happen. So I was like, damn, thanks, Meg, fucking asshole. Um <laughs> And I went away that, that summer and I worked on an HI and the first big tournament of the year was the ASU tournament. Um, so that was our first kind of like sort of national tournament. People would fly in from, from other parts of the country and they would go to that tournament. And, um, and at that point, this is like a few, few months into the year, we've, we've gone to like a number of tournaments and I'd started, uh, this is my junior year, I'd started like getting to finals at tournaments and I had not ever won a tournament uh, at that point. And I go to ASU, which was, I guess my first very big tournament where there's like hundreds of people competing. Right. So it was like a little overwhelming, a little nervous. And I go, I keep competing. I, you know, I'm doing HI, you know, get to the quarter semis, whatever. I get to the final round and AJ's in the final round as well. And, um, and I still really like looked up to him and, you know, And, um, and that was the first time I think that might've been the first round we were ever, ever in together. Mm -hmm. Maybe we were in some other rounds. I don't know. I don't really remember, but that was, there's just, I was just like really nervous. And that was like, that was a big, a, a big moment for me. And that massive tournament was the first tournament I ever won. And AJ took second. And I went and I fucking rubbed that shit right in Meg's face. I was like, Hey Meg, remember what you said at the end of last year? Dream on if that's my goal. Well, really, um, the dream came alive. Came alive um, a little faster than I thought, and then I was like, okay, I need to set some new goals that are less petty than I need to beat this person at a tournament. But it wasn't but he's even one of the people that you admired. It, yeah, for sure. And it wasn't even I, I want to beat him. It was just like I want to be on that guy's level, you know. Well, and it's great too
0: that these two people that you admired, you wind up getting on the same team with them. Yeah, yeah. That, that was cool. That That's was cool. Skill. skill. Question number three: What's the most memorable speech you've seen?
1: Jeez. Oh, you know, um, that's tough. Oh gosh, I wish I'd. I wish I'd known that was going to be a question. I'm sure I could have come up with a. Well, what really what jumps to answer. your mind right now? What jumps to my mind is when I was in high school. I saw some college performers perform for the so the first time I'm seeing college speech, um, and some of the names that kind of pop into my mind um I saw a guy named Andy Buck do a prose from a book that I've like gone on to read everyone's read um uh, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius by Dave Eckert, brilliant book but that was my first exposure to the book and I saw that prose and it was you know I'm, I'm like a kid and he seemed like a man and he was doing this prose that was profound and beautiful and you know really balancing emotions way more effectively than I'd ever seen like you know in a high school piece and it wasn't just him it was like um Andy Buck doing that prose um this guy named David Wilson Brown who was uh doing some some really great stuff that I saw you know when he was in college uh Kristen Meyer who is um now married to like one of Hands down, my favorite people in the entire activity. Brandon Wood. They're married and they ha- have a baby. Um, it's like two of my favorite people. But like seeing her perform, uh, I just felt like that was the first time I really started seeing what I would qualify as like a beautiful performance. Mm. That was the first time I was watching people stand up on stage and be a real vulnerable human in 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 like adult emotions, you know. And and I became obsessed with with that that was like it wasn't this bizarre artifice of hi or the faked emotion of a of a drama that a high school kids trying to really connect with it was like college people who actually understood they got emotion. there they got there they got it and i was like watching adults performing it, it kind of transcended speech that was the first time so i'd say those three names kind of pop pop into mind bonnie mcdonald mark banks those were some of the probably five first kind of really mature performances i saw that i was like oh god damn you can you can really do some stuff with this activity you can really you can resonate you can i mean you you can like connect with people you can make them it's more than just a cheap laugh you can make them feel stuff question number four
0: we talked about this a little bit earlier how do you explain forensics to somebody who's unfamiliar with it
1: I explain it first thing. I say we kind of talk, yeah, t- touch on this. I say forget about debate. I don't do debate. Like get that out of your head. You probably have these preconceived notions of what it is, um, and then I, it, I usually don't want to be talking about it. Like, this is by far the most in-depth conversation I've had about speech in, like, a decade. <laughs> um, I will usually, when someone finds out about my past of speech or, like, someone I meet that has done it, right, will automatically have a connection. Like, I work with a few people who did speech, and it was like, oh, shit, you did speech, right? And now we suddenly have a shorthand. Um, uh, for people that don't, and then, like, you know, onlookers will be like, what are you talking about? What's speech? It's basically like, uh, I guess I would say it's, like, it's competitive acting. You take a performance, you take a script, you take a novel, you cut it down to a 10-minute performance that kind of distills the entire story or whatever aspects of the story you deem important, and then you go compete with other people doing the exact same thing. It's just competitive performance.
0: You know, you say that when I was in high school uh, in Tennessee. We, we, I didn't even think of it as speech. We didn't call it speech competitions. We called them acting competitions. That's what we thought yeah. they were because there were so many theater groups that were doing it. It's not
1: acting, Robert. It's like, It's interp. I know.
0: I know that now. Uh, question
1: number five. Uh-huh. What was your most unusual inspiration for a speech? You know, my j- junior year, I was doing a, a poetry and Is high school or college college. Okay. Um, so my my sophomore year, I I did a poetry program that I really loved and I really felt connected to. Uh, and I, it was the first time I won nationals, uh, won AFA with a poetry program, and I was going into poetry my my uh. Wait, what did I say? So that was my sophomore year. I won poetry my sophomore year. Going in my junior year, I was like, "Well, what am I going to do for poetry? I feel like I feel like um, not necessarily that there's going to be a target on my back, but I was pretty much resigned to the fact that I'm not winning nationals again. I like I feel like back to backing uh, an event at nationals is probably very difficult, and there's probably a little bit of a stigma against someone who's just won. You know, mm-hmm. go getting to the run, I'm sure there's some kind of very subconscious thought on the judge's part of like, oh, you think you're going to get this twice? Fuck you, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe it's it's nothing like aggressive, but I just felt like... Or even if they don't know, again, as you said earlier, it's this the perfect odds, confluence yeah, of, of The of odds events. of that happening yeah. are, are just astronomical. So I was going into my poetry that year with that in mind, like, okay, how am I going to follow up to a poetry that I thought was really good and I really connected with and was like, successful on the circuit um what can i like what can i do resigning myself to second place not second place literally but like if people are already going to be viewing this as second place Mm -hmm. what can i do with that so i programmed poetry on sidekicks you know we always hear about the heroes but like what about what about the sidekicks and i wanted it to be um, interesting and I wanted it to be unique. Of course, what a generic thing to say, but I, um, I was also starting to get into the, I was kind of toying with the idea of like, how can I make other people more invested in this? Um, how can I make my teammates like this poetry more? How much more fun can I make this activity? So I asked everyone on my team, um, will you write a poem? for the theme of sidekicks you know however you want to interpret that um will you write a poem for me and everyone on the team did and you know i gave them all pen names but that was my poetry program that year oh cool was it was nothing published and it was all poetry from my team um and that was it was special to perform, you know, and like yeah. I'm sure it wound up meaning a lot more to, to me because I was doing it every round and I was thinking about my my speech Who family. These people
0: were, and yeah, yeah, and,
1: and you know, and it's it's really cool to kind of like see everyone's writing style and and perform it and kind of get intimate with it. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure, you know, Joe Schmo writes writes a poem and is like, oh, here you go, and then they kind of don't think about it and they see me perform it once in a while and then oh yeah, I wrote that, that's cool, but like. You know, it was a really cool connection that I had with my whole team that mm-hmm. year. You know, every round that I went in, they're your sidekick, it. Paul. You know what? That's what fucking Hubble said. He was mm-hmm. like, So are we all your sidekicks? And like, well, from, you're from the your hero of the yeah. team. And it was like, No, I'm kind of like, You're my heroes. I'm your sidekick. Help me. Do that for me. Oh. You know, that's kind of how I was being. So nice, <laughs> nice spin. Nice spin.
0: Nice getting <laughs> oh, out of the thank,
1: thank God that just came out of me. <laughs> Question number 6. Has a speech ever caused you to change? I mean, really the biggest change in my life is is everything I've watched. All like all of them caused me to change. It the amalgamation to, of all the speeches? Sh- sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um how Okay, so how to delicately how to delicately answer this. But the ones that have caused me to change. <sighs> are are probably the worst ones. How so? A few a few reasons. Um there are I mean, you know, sometimes you'll go to a round and you won't just watch a bad thing. You'll watch something so profoundly off base with something that any rational human would choose to make. Any rational human would choose to perform a certain piece of literature or the way they're performing it once in a while and these are really beautiful moments in this activity once in a while you'll go watch something that's so fucking batshit insane that's so profoundly awful just every decision is like how did you get there you know that's the stuff that i feel like is I mean, you're going to learn more from filmmaking from watching something really bad than you are from watching something great because you watch something great and you're like, how do I do that? You watch something bad and it's like, well, I know what not to do. Mm-hmm. So I would learn a lot in speech that way. I would learn a lot based off of how I would react, how how my teams would talk about certain pieces afterwards. Mm-hmm. And there was, I was, I texted Joe to, today and I was like, Joe, what, what would you say is like our greatest memory? You know, like what's what? What would stand out as you is like our most exceptional story, like the funniest thing, right? And he kind of texted a couple quick things, right? I guess the things that instinctually hit him, and one of them was, um, <laughs> the last one was that uh, that duo that you described to us one time, and we were just did a tournament, and there was a duo that was just really, really awful, but hilariously so. And it was just all of the most um, dramatic stuff you could imagine, like right? all of the most ridiculously over-the-top dramatic stuff happening in this duo. And then uh, it goes from like really, really a fucking heavy dramatic scene like a baby is, you know, ripped from his mother's arms and left on the doorstep of a church, and she's like, Duh, I can't forgive, and then her boyfriend goes to prison. And it was just like it was just like so much heavy drama, very poorly performed, and then it goes to a page turn after like just apex drama screaming crying right to page turn they both are standing there with their hands up as if on glass and then they both say in unison happy easter and it was the fucking most bizarre (laughs) transition i'd ever seen and then it was like it was she she was visiting him in prison on easter Uh, and their hands were supposed to be on the glass And it was like um it was like a moment, you know, I mean sure we've all been there in, in a speech moment where something is so out of left field that it happens that your reaction is like like, oh keep it together, you can't see the judge you can't can't let the judge see you laughing. But I was like internally fucking dying. When I got out of that round, I pulled a few teammates aside and I was like, Oh my god, guys, I just gotta get this off my chest and tell you a little bit about this duo. And they were fucking dying. Watching them. React listen to listen to my rendition of their of their duo which is so shady this sounds so petty of me but when i got to happy easter <laughs> like screams they were just fucking dying screaming at this uh and i didn't think the story was that funny initially and the way my the, the way like some of my best friends reacted to it was was so pleasing was so funny and you'd think you'd see this shitty piece, and then that's kind of the end of it. It doesn't change you. Um, to this day, on Easter, <laughs> we still get texts from one another, all caps, Happy Easter! And that was how he ended the text, was like, this funny thing, this funny thing, this funny thing, this funny thing, Happy Easter. Um, so there's now a shorthand. There, There's a shorthand. We all know what Happy Easter means, and w- without kind of like... Uh, seeing the, I didn't get into the whole reenactment of the of the um, of the piece, of the but uh, yeah, it's kind of tough to explain and also weird, kind of delving into an inside joke. But I would say something like that, kind of causing you to more change. more alters. Yeah, and it's not necessarily causes me to change personally, which is I think kind of what you were what you were going for. But that's but like it's great when something sticks, you know, yeah. whether it's good or bad. It's like those two, whoever they are, wherever they are. Uh, I mean, they ch- they changed the course of a friendship. They added something to it. Sure. And, like, God bless them. You did, a, you did a shitty fucking duo. But, like, damn, I remember that thing way more clear than I remember 90% of the other pieces I've ever yeah. seen. You know? So, like, those, my heart goes out to those people. Like, the cats of speech. You know? Like, this movie Cats, everyone's sure. saying it's like, I, get you mean. It, I mean, it just makes these, like, wild choices. But it's sticking out. And it's, like, making money now because of... Because of that. Like, I feel like that's how I view speech. If someone does something so just fucking outlandish and crazy, yeah, I'm still going to give it some props. You still got some respect because, like, you're entertaining me. You're doing something. And I don't know where you came from, and I don't know why this is happening, but I'm glad that I'm in the room right now for that little piece of magic, you know? Question number seven. Uh Uh-huh. What did you do with your awards? Um... My awards when I was in high school, they were kind of like on my bedroom wall. They were like plaques and and framed certificates and stuff. And the trophies I had were kind of displayed on like a bookshelf. And when I went to college, I didn't actually go to college. I I lived at home with my parents when I went through college. They were basically like, you can get a car or you can move out. And I was like, well, I'll take a car and just live with you. I had a really great relationship with my parents. So I was like, i will just stay here. I'm cool with that. And... I, something about the trophies kind of felt gratuitous. I don't know. It just seemed weird still having them on my wall Mm -hmm. and I felt like high school was over and I took them all off and I remember having this moment. I took, I took all of them. I put them in like a couple laundry baskets, filled up a couple laundry baskets and looked at them and I had this really like pathetic self pitying moment of, you know what? I mean, maybe I'd had like a, like a, a, Couple kisses, maybe in high school. Like, didn't really, didn't go to any parties. Didn't make any long-lasting friendships aside from my speech team. And I remember kind of having this like very pathetic moment, looking at <laughs> these laundry baskets full of trophies, and like, I even might have said something out loud, like, "This is, this is it. This is, <laughs> this is my Swiss high. This too. is my high school experience." shoved into a couple laundry baskets and i couldn't get rid of those trophies fast enough because i i don't know why i was feeling so pathetic about it when they weren't on the wall they looked so sad um and of course those memories that i now have from high school are are way better than i'm sure just the traditional kind of high school high school experience of like going to a party or whatever and like i you know i hung out with friends outside of speech but whatever so i took all those trophies and i said um uh, you know, mom, dad, you can do whatever you want with with these trophies. And they had like a workout room in the in the uh, garage. The garage had been converted into this this workout room. And um, and I mean, they made that place the most embarrassing fucking shrine you've ever seen. Mm. And all through college, I I'd, I'd give them my trophies. That's where they'd go. And um, and they would just they, they had this little shrine. And honestly, I don't know. Is that where they still are? I don't know. I don't know because uh, the room's different, uh. so they must be in storage, or maybe they maybe they got pitched. I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt my mom would do that. But, um, I I have um the mom shrine. <laughs> we got like yeah, my mom's got a little shrine. I don't think she has the shrine anymore. She's not being proud of my speech accomplishments. Um, but I have um, my, my poetry plate from AFA my sophomore year, my duo plate from um winning duo with Joe at AFA my junior, junior year and then my poetry trophy from NFA for winning nationals my senior year um my my pentaf trophy from from nationals that year um my mom it was like it like broke and it was kind of like falling over to the side and my my mom she's so sweet she like took it to like a trophy shop and got it fixed and brought it back and was like you can take this trophy with you to California and I was like mom this trophy is like this is trophy is stu- um, yeah. stupid looking I can't do anything with this it's like fucking huge you can't put it on a bookshelf because it, it it's too tall for the ceiling so I was like I, I can't do anything with that in my apartment in Los Angeles I'll take the plates are easy enough you know and the the kind of like the national champion trophy from NFA it's it's manageable on top of a bookshelf so I took those three those are my nice kind of speech reminders. Um, you have them scattered about the apartment now? No, no. They're all kind of tucked away on top of a bookshelf mm. in my office, kind of in the corner. And I kind of – I forget about them. And then once every couple of years, someone will kind of come into the office and we'll be talking about something. And it's just like, oh, what's those? And it's like, oh, this will be a fun little – oh, I used to do speech and did this and was successful. And then usually the reaction is kind of like, oh, cool. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. But <laughs> once in a while, someone's pretty interested, you know? But, um, I mean, they're, they're just for me, you know, it's like, and, and not so much, I know it sounds like, Oh, well the national champion trophies are the ones I have, but like, it, it doesn't make me think of that. It makes me think of my team. It makes me think of all the fun memories I had. You know, it was, it was a seven year stretch of my life, four, five, six, seven year stretch of my life that is kind of encapsulated on top of a, uh, to, on top of a bookshelf that I like to think about sometimes. All right.
0: Question number eight, what speech skill do you use most often in your day-to-day life?
1: shit the 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 confidence that it Mm. it it put into me you Mm -hmm. know i mean you wouldn't believe the kid that started this activity um like i was petrified like i told you that whole first year petrified hated stepping in front of an audience and eventually once it starts clicking that's like it's like addictive Mm. it's like oh shit like i can make an audience laugh um, and that slowly builds confidence. And every ballot you get that says, you're great, you're doing so good, this is great, you're funny, you're smart, um, you're so believable, you know, those things just... Build your confidence. Build your confidence. Yeah. And like, boy, I would really like to stress that to every judge out there, is you can rip someone apart, but it's so much easier to to build them up, even if they're not great. You could still give these little... Because when I wasn't great, I was still getting the little... Keep going, ballots. Yeah, at keep, least say keep, something keep pushing positive, along. Yeah. Keep pushing along, you know? And, I, and I'll admit, like, when I first got out of speech, I probably wrote some harsh ballots because it was like, I know exactly how it should be done, and I'm very particular and opinionated, and I'm going to write these, I'm going to write the most helpful ballots ever. But when you look at a helpful ballot, it's very constructive, and the first thing a student thinks is like, holy shit, look at everything I'm doing wrong. Right. You know, and I tried to be... I wanted to like when I was judging, I wanted to be the most helpful judge I could be. Mm. And I would look back at that and be like, that's probably not the, I mean, sure. You can like apply all of that to your speech piece and it'll help. But like the, that confidence is going to be ultimately way more important in the long run. So that's the thing that really stuck with me. That's, what was most important for me in this activity. is like over the years getting more and more confident, not only to the point where like, now I like stepping on stage. Now I feel like I know what I'm doing, but like to the point where not only do I feel like I understand this activity, I feel like I can change it. I feel like I can make a difference for people doing that. And speech is such a microcosm of the world, but to step out of that into the real world is is harsh. It is difficult, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I, I sort of kind of casually mentioned this a little bit earlier, the very first movie I ever made, I was like, I was like 25 when I started kind of pre-production on it. Oh, fucking petrified as much kind of confidence building that I'd had the previous like seven years of, of forensics and then coaching for a number of years and coaching like successful It's like a whole new world when it comes to film. Yeah, it was a whole new world, but it was like, boy, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm and I'm super nervous. And, like so many times, I thought, if this all falls apart, it's gonna be such a burden off my shoulders. Mm. Cause like, oh, oh, it all fell apart. It's not my fault. I couldn't make this movie. You know what I mean? And like, I had to keep pushing that thought out of my mind and be like, no, you're you're badass. You're confident. And I think something. A phrase every speech competitor has heard, I'm sure, is fake it till you make it, right? So now I'm hiring, like, a crew, and I'm I'm getting actors, and I'm going to, like, direct them in my first movie, and I'm fucking petrified, right? Like, I, I don't understand all this film equipment I'm using. Um, I'm trying to communicate with, like, film professionals that do this for a living, and, like, oh, they're going to see through me. They're going to see that I'm this, this kid who doesn't – who's never done this, and now they have to take orders from me. I don't think stepping on to set that first day, I, I don't think I could have done it without all the speech buildup I had mm. before that. And I, I feel like it was, it was years and years and years of confidence building to get me to take that first step. Honestly, if I hadn't done speech, I don't think I could have taken that first step because you've done it too. Mm. And I don't know if it was a similar thing for you, like kind of saying to people out loud, I'm going to make a movie. It feels silly. It felt silly initially for me. It doesn't anymore. Now I'm like fuck. Fuck yeah! I want to make this thing. I want to get into this. Like saying I'm a director. I'm a filmmaker. It was uh, like it was at the beginning of the speech for me. It felt like an imposter, mm. you know. And it's like I just have to get into it. And I don't know if I could have um, without, without the speech experience. Without the speech experience. And it wasn't just that. Like kind of in my head, it was like the hundreds of people that have touched me in this activity that I've hopefully touched that are kind of bracing me up they're kind of all invisibly there pushing me forward like hundreds of people have kind of like it's just this big web of i mean speech is just the just a just a a, a wealth of the smartest funniest most amazing people that i've encountered mm. you know like when I got out of speech, my first couple of years in L.A. When I, I I wasn't really coaching my first year or so, when I wasn't really coaching, I would encounter people in the real world, and I was like, "Holy shit, are are people just this dumb? Are people this profoundly unfunny?" Because I've been spoiled with the quality, the caliber of human that I was privileged enough to be around for so long. Because speech, it 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 does attract the 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 brightest, and it does attract the the cream of the crop. And yeah. if and if they're not that they learn to become that because they see that you know speech i think I, I think it really it brings out the best in people and hopefully everyone exits the activity a better smarter funnier wiser person well, that's than the when goal, they anyway. when they came in that's the goal and i'm sure some people do become like driven by success or i want that title or i want to rip that person down or whatever i'm sure that does drive people some people nuts but ideally this activity should be cultivating the best people that that they could be, you know, and there's such amazing people that I've met through this activity. Well, the, the of, best people I've ever met in my life. That segues into question number nine: Why didn't you quit? You know, when I I started at the top of this podcast, I was telling you about Brad, and mm-hmm. I was telling you about, and, and I mentioned Ryan. I think those were my two my two boys in high school that I started with, and they quit. They eventually stopped doing it, and I and I just stuck with it and i think why i didn't quit was i up to that point had never i was i was a pretty good illustrator i could draw pictures well and i was thinking i was going to be i always knew i was going to be a filmmaker but i thought in the meantime i have to express myself creatively creatively um and so i was thinking i was going to be an artist and you know i was was pretty good at that i was thinking i was going to write i was going to write plays i was going to write poetry i was going to write Um, but other than that, I wasn't really very good at anything, you know, through elementary school, I was good at making my classmates laugh. Um, but that was about it. I didn't have any discernible skills. I tried sports. My dad was a huge jock and he was always pushing me to get into, um, like, uh, organized sports, like, like, like a team sport type thing. And I, and I would try and I was not an athlete and I, couldn't get on board with it and I would get very bored um and I just couldn't find anything that would stick and and speech was just that thing it just stuck and it could have unstuck that first year really easily if something else came along I could definitely see myself have being derailed moving on to something else moving on something else but since I didn't have very many friends and that community was kind (laughs) of welcoming me it's a lack of friends of why you didn't it quit. It was it just let me it just let me stay because yeah. well if I'm not doing that what else am I going to do? Oh. It's like it got me out of house out of the house on weekends you know, and there's these these moments of like kind of when I first started doing speech I couldn't tie a tie well on you want to hear a secret I still can't tie a tie. Gene um, asked to tie my ties for me, but all through <laughs> but all through college it was Joe tying my tie and going back to the superstition. My senior year I was petrified about who was going to tie my tie. And uh, Clemp and Hubble become my tie tires for that year, but um, I wouldn't learn how to tie a tie because I might fuck everything up. It might it might change change the juju, change the juju, and it and it was like that was silly, but it was also Joe knew that Joe knew that he had to tie my tie, yeah. and then eventually Clemp and Hubble knew that they had to tie my tie. Like, ooh, Paul can't learn to tie his tie, you know? Mm. Um, well, I
0: like the idea going back to why you didn't quit. I like that that you didn't quit essentially because. I had a community. I needed it.
1: Yeah. I need community. I needed it. I needed something. Yeah. And then once I became good at it, um like I'd never been good at anything, Robert, right. you know, it's like, I'd been good at drawing. I'd been good at making people laugh. And that was, and that was it. Those aren't real things. There was no, I mean, I wasn't going to be an artist. I wasn't going to be like a Picasso. You know, I wasn't going to be, uh, I wasn't going to draw comic books or anything like that. I wasn't going to be like a real illustrator. I drew for, for fun for me. Um, I was going to be a filmmaker. I didn't know what to do in the meantime. I didn't know how to like cultivate any of the skills that I would need to communicate with people on a set. And, uh, once I got I mean, the first time you're on stage and you get that laugh, like fucking hell. That's that's so powerful. Yeah. Just an audience accepting you is just like it's like a drug, you know. Yeah. And well, and so to, I said before, it's crack. It's crack. Yeah. And to do something that that eventually you do understand to get something to be good at something is a really powerful thing. And unfortunately, I feel like that's not a thing that a lot of people in their youth get to experience getting really good unless you're an athlete um where are people sent where are people like uh like like sent to you know it's like not every teacher knows i gotta send that kid to speech teachers should know that because that is an activity mm. that like could really it, i mean Affect it does people. change lives you know but um but yeah being being a part of something that you're that you're good at it's it's really powerful and like um i was i mean not not i the first of all of my brothers to go to college. I was the first um, to graduate from high school. Mm. And so while I was in high school, you know, I had three older brothers and they were high school dropouts. And um, my parents, I know really struggled a lot all through my childhood of like, they were phenomenal parents. I really can't stress that good enough. They did everything they could for, for like all three of my older brothers. And to start being successful for, your parents that haven't seen that with a kid, like that was also just as impactful. Right. You know, was like the familial obligation almost seeing my parents proud was like, Oh, Oh, that feels nice. Yeah. That's good. And they deserve that. Sure. So, I mean, the trophies made them feel great. And like coming to, once I did start letting them come to tournaments and watch me like in out rounds, it was just like, Beaming, you know, beaming in a way that I'd like never that I'd never seen. And still some of my most cherished memories from the entire activity was my sophomore year. Um, nationals was in Long Beach, you know uh, uh, and that's relatively close to six hours from Arizona. And my parents were like, "Can we drive to nationals and watch you? And I said, "You can drive to nationals, but you can't watch any of my prelims. So they were coming all the way. Hoping that I would oh, get you to you made it out. hoping that I'd get to an out round and um, try not to get choked up here but uh, like I still remember seeing their faces watching me perform in the national final round mm-hmm and uh, the the reason I'm emotional is because that that was like pretty much last time that like my uh, my parents got to see me perform aside from like showcases and stuff like that. And my dad's no longer with us, but that was uh, and and the piece kind of like tied into like fatherhood and stuff like that. So it was like it was how could I let that go? It's not just for me at that point. That sounds weird, but like but like once it started making my parents proud, it was like man. I gotta do this and I gotta do it as good as I can Mm -hmm. you know
0: question number 10 hit me this is my favorite question
1: okay what's the best speech advice you've ever received I went to a poetry reading my freshman year of college my freshman year of college me and Guff me and Joe Guffey went to a poetry reading oh fuck his name David oh Man, he was he had competed at ASU years previous and was like a national champion, was like a fucking baller, right? And he was like going to the poetry reading, I already knew who this guy was. And um so we went to this poetry reading. He doesn't know who we are, but we watch and he's doing these amazing poems that he wrote, right? From a book that he published right? and uh and afterwards it was like it was like we were little fangirls. We went we went up to him <laughs> after the after the his reading, and uh, we're like, "Hey, uh, that was that was great, man." Um, we uh, we're in speech at ASU. We compete as well, and he's like, "Oh, that's great." And I was like, "And we were like heading to nationals, which was my first nationals, mm-hmm. you know, in college in like a week, right?" And I was like, "I was like, yeah, we're going to nationals in a week," and he's like, "Oh, that's great. Have have fun, man. Have fun." Um, and all I'd heard about this guy was like how groundbreaking it was, how edgy he was, how he didn't, you know, it's like he didn't play by the rules. He did all this like really crazy stuff. He had like uh, I had heard all these stories about him. He had flash paper for one of his page turns. So when he flipped the page, it was a, it was like a, a, a it was fireball. A, yeah, it was like a fireball, and it was like a poetry program on magic or some shit like that. And he had all this crazy stuff that he did, and so it was like, whoa, this guy sounds edgy this guy sounds cool right and I and and I was like yeah I'm going and and like he'd won nationals and was like really successful and stuff like that so I was like yeah we're going nationals and he's like oh that's great um and he's like hey and, and I've kind of I've kind of said something similar throughout the course of this podcast and I've kind of hinted at this but he was just like he was like hey whatever happens it doesn't fucking matter man and I was like oh yeah okay and he's like no serious if you win nationals that's great but I guarantee, in 10 years, if you sit down with someone and start talking about it, that's not what you're gonna be talking about. It's this guy right here, he points at Joe. Mm-hmm. That's what matters. It's your team, it's those relationships you make. Don't get caught up in all the bullshit and all the politics and trying to figure out what's the best stuff that's gonna win. He's like, that doesn't matter. He's like, you don't know it, but like these are gonna be really, really great memories. And that's the most important thing. It just doesn't
0: matter. It just doesn't matter.
1: I don't get the reference. Oh, it's from Meatballs. Oh. You remember that? You know what? I actually just recently watched Meatballs for the first time. I wasn't, I wasn't bowled over. Well, let's not get into that. Okay, let's okay, stay okay. on your memory. Um, that you just shit all over. <laughs> I was, I was
0: chanting. It I was, doesn't, it just doesn't you.
1: matter. Yeah. It, it just doesn't matter. It yeah. does matter. It matters more than anything. It also doesn't matter yeah. at all. I mean, activity matters more than everything and really what but the community the friendships the the relationships the friendships it's like man if you can get past the cutthroat nature if you can get past the competitive aspect and if you can just form a bond with these people it's 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 life-changing it's Mm. it's a it's a community that you you won't find anywhere else and something else this is not a piece of advice that anyone gave me. This is the a piece of advice I would impart. So let's pretend someone gave this to me to answer your question. Um, I I love speech, and I used to write a lot of my speech pieces, and uh, I I would kind of think of audiences as like kind of learning how to write for an audience. Um, I would see what played well, what kind of jokes I could write, how I could kind of manipulate a story for an audience, and I thought that was really great. Um experience because you get these audiences every weekend when i was done with speech and i moved out to la i started doing some like sketch comedy um and trying to get people to come to performance and stuff man those captive audiences you get Holy shit that I take that for granted. Mm. Every weekend, there are people that are coming to watch you perform. Most of them are going to be in prelims. Most of them have to be there. But then you go to semis. But then you go to finals. And there are people that are choosing to come watch that round, maybe because of you, maybe not because of you. But you're going to be performing in front of audiences consistently for three, four, five, six, seven, eight years. And then once that's over, Boy, is that over. Like, when I got to L.A., I could not pay people to fill a room to watch me perform. Hey, I came to watch your sketch show. You came to watch the sketch show. People came, mostly speech people for yeah. the record yeah. would come to watch and see like, Hey, what are these speech people doing after speech? You know yeah. what I mean? But like, man, this town, it is, it is tough to get yeah. an audience, you know, live audience. Especially. It's tough to get a live audience. Yeah. It's tough to even get eyes on like something you, something you make. Yeah. And in speech, people are hungry for good performances. Mm. You know? And when you give it to them, they want more of it. And And
0: we do take it for granted, I think. And we
1: take it for granted. We take those audiences for granted. I wish I could, like, kind of get into every competitor's head, like, cherish this moment. I don't care if you're doing a fucking five minute informative speech read off of note cards. Be grateful for those people you're reading it to. Or a duo where you say Happy Easter. A duo where you say Happy Easter. A uh, duo that your parents are in front, uh, like in the audience for, watching you talk about blowing up a Vietnam memorial when you're in mm-hmm. in uh, fucking high school. If I could go back, I would, I would let my parents sit in every prelim round, oh. you know? Like, t- don't take those audiences for granted. That's... That was not advice I was given, but, like, that's advice I would I would give. Because, like, you can't get that back until you're, like, a high-caliber performer that's getting paid to do some kind then, of show. And even then, it's tough. And even then, it's yeah. tough. And, like, maybe you'll, you'll put up a play, and it'll run for a weekend, and a shitload of people will come out for that play, put that play up for two months, and see what happens. Yeah. You know? It's, like, those audiences, they want to be there. They're listening. They're smiling. Some of them are mad because they didn't break. Some of them are tuning you out. Some of them are bored. But, like, for the most part best audiences I ever had in that activity.
0: Well that's a great note to go out on.
1: Paul, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, thanks for so much having for talking me. and uh,
0: and sharing. If people want to find you, where
1: can they find you? Uh I'm on Instagram, Paul Davis Filmmaker. Um that's that's pretty much all I'm on. I'm not okay. on I'm not on Twitter. I mean I have a Facebook, um I'm sure that should be a pretty good start if people want to find you. Get Paul, an Instagram account at Paul Davis Filmmaker. It's my Instagram. You can kind of follow along my uh filmmaking exploits and my daily life and my dog. Forever. And as for us, uh, this show is on
0: Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both of those is at forensics podcast. Paul, thanks so much for
1: coming in. Uh, I really me. appreciate it. Yeah. Good good trip down memory lane. Yeah, haven't it was. talked about haven't talked about this stuff in uh, forever. I wish I wish I'd had more stuff that was fresher. Like the memories kind of they start they start coming once you start talking and they start flooding in. I wish I'd been able to kind of Hone that flood a little a little a little more coherently for well, it was you. It's good but... to pick your brain.
0: So oh, until pleasure. the next round, keep talking. And as Paul Davis says, whatever happens, it just doesn't matter. I'm an actress. Oh. 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 Oh.